In the far future, faster-than-light travel is possible via portals called Stiffworks. Human and alien civilizations travel this way for millennia. Trade, war, and technology proliferate. Countless societies rise, thrive, fall, and vanish. Eventually, almost everyone forgets the secrets of the Stiffworks. Almost. 300 years ago, the worshipful company of Stillfleeters is formed on Spindle, a space station of unknown origin. They send fleeters into the void using Stiffworks in search of profit. It is 100 million years in the future. Welcome to Float City. in a space station, an office and a space station that look like they've been carved out of a gargantuan hunk of black rock. Spindle, the space station, doesn't have rooms so much as it has small caves, blobs of space roughly carved into the dark material by, well, who knows, actually. No one is sure how Spindle got this way. No one knows how it was built, nor how it's powered, nor how it generates atmosphere. No one even knows really what spin looks like from the outside, though a lot of folks do have their guesses. And for sure, no one knows where Spindle is in space. Except maybe some of the weirdos upstairs in the archive, but they're not exactly rushing to share with anyone. And certainly not this crew lowly fleeters. Each of you, upon awakening this morning, found a letter shoved under the door to your room blobs, summoning you here to your refactor Algar's office before first bell. It's early, or at least it feels like it's early, and the clocks say that it's early. You can't see outside of spin to judge the position of any nearby sun, and your refactor is late, as always. You've all spent a lot of time waiting in his room blob, staring at his one green mossy wall, his strange angular lead desk piled with books and paperwork, and his collection of mechanical clocks. You'd think, with so many clocks in this room, he would learn how to tell time. But alas, here you are, waiting. Two friends and two strangers. A brand new crew formed from the wreckage of several older crews. Let's start with the strangers. Who are your characters and what do they look like? Right, that's me and Nick, right? <laughs> that is you. That is, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just checking. By, by, by random dice roll, uh, we have determined that there are two colleagues and two strangers in this newly formed crew. Okay. Scratching his belly in the corner is Mercus Ameldar. Uh, Mercus is a Jalasti banshee, and Jalasti are sort of salamander people. He is dark gray with slimy skin with paint splatter blue spots, two short arms, 
some iridescent riot gear shaped like a rib cage over a slender top half, half naked otherwise, wearing some low cut orange swim trunks with a hole cut out for the tail. Um, Mercus is 40% tail. Uh, <laughs> he is wearing <laughs> three duck boots, one on each foot and one child size duck boot on the tail. And around uh, where ears would be, uh, Marcus has colorful blue and white flaps. Uh, those are sensory and sexual organs that bloom when stimulated. And currently, he is scratching his tummy because that is where the ganglia or, or brain stuff is located in his body. So he's rubbing it thinking like, where is this guy? So he's like massaging his brains. Oh, yeah. This is like when, you, when like I massage my temples. Yes. Over uh, across the room, uh, looking at very closely at the wall, um, is is the shape of an old man, uh, an old uh, an old man with long gray beard and, and gray hair. He's got um, very nice robes on. They're slightly dusty, but they're very nice. Um, and he's got these little quarter moon spectacles. These spectacles that have such a small sliver of glass on, on them that you almost can't imagine that he would be looking through the glass of the <laughs> spectacles. But they're charming in their sort of old man way. And he turns around and he says, well, that's quite a story. And um, because the room had been completely <laughs> quiet and no one had told a story, um, <laughs> everybody looks at each other and wonders what he's talking about. Um, and then he remains quiet. This is uh, Vinos, Lysumtruara. Uh, he is a <laughs> conscript primulant, um, meaning that he is um, a student of hell science and the weird. Vinos um, has a special kinship now with the past and, f and, and present through his um, path, uh, namely the Howling Lamp. So he's, he's sort of just an old mage, um, that's a little kooky, but um, he means well. And the weird, just to describe what exactly this is, yes. this is in Stillfleet, like one of the classes that is something like a wizard. Yep. Except you are a wizard of physics almost. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, it literally, it's uh, there's a lot of cool um, and uh, yeah, not not directly obvious types of powers that can come with studying the weird. Yeah, oh, um, the people people who control the weird or quote-unquote hell scientists tend to have like very low-level control over physics. And yeah. that basically there's a, a latent part of them that allows them this, that allows them to unlock, as I think the book says, both Newtonian and even in some situations, Einsteinian physics. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, uh, who are the two friends in the room? Uh, yeah, the two friends. Uh, I, I, I think my character is one of the friends. His name is Remy Tester. Uh, Remy is a sleeper, uh, which means he's a human who woke up from a weird cryo sleep. He's also a blutter, which means he has a bunch of nanites in him. Remy is slight, dark, and thin with angular features. Maybe a little unnaturally thin. He looks kind of off. There's something twitchy and hungry about him. Something that puts most people off. He's wearing some jelly armor he got from a mission way back, and he keeps a dull wooden katana on his back. He doesn't carry much else. Uh, underneath the armor, he dresses in a ragged spin approximation of a suit. And of course, he's got a very small flute. <laughs> of, of course. course. Duh. <laughs> he's very agreeable most of the time. Though, those that know him know not to wonder too much about how and why. 
I don't know why that sounded like a rhyme. That was not intentional. It's <laughs> good, had, though. I like it. It really, really wrapped up the whole thing. Um, can you describe just, uh, Bijan, just briefly what the blood is and its relationship yes. to, yeah, to like nanites? Yeah. So so basically, uh, the, I'll just read what, what Wythe has in this version of the, the rule book, which is under the subheading, The Blood, capital T, capital B. And just um, I want to provide an explanation really quickly uh, in case people haven't heard it elsewhere. Uh, Still Fleet, which is the game that we are playing, is um, an as yet unreleased system that is written by a close friend of mine named Wythe Marshall. Uh, and so he was kind enough to give us a pre-release copy of the core rulebook so that we could use it to play the game. It should be out uh, sometime before the end of the year. But, you know, uh, timing of everything in 2020 seems to sort of be all over the place. Uh, but yeah, just yeah. Let's, wanted to provide that context. Okay, sorry to interrupt you. Go on. If you've ever opened a hexagonal metal vial and down the gray yogurt within one aliquot of late Tefnian nanites in suspension, then you are now a drug addict of a very special kind. You crave blood, capital B. You will do anything for more, purer, nobler blood, again, capital B. For humans, it's the ultimate rush. Control over your body and the world around you, made possible by invisible little genies that do your bidding. Combining different types of blood is even more of a rush, but can cause unexpected side effects. And blooding changes you. You can drink the stuff, but you may well have a tap on your body that allows you to inject it into your small bee bloodstream for an added rush. Moreover, the secret of how to properly maintain millions of tiny robots within a human body has long been lost. Thin networks of red-gray nanites eventually rise up through your skin and create strange tattoo-like patterns on your face and hands. For some, the blood also causes mental degeneration, sometimes rapid, called wilting or slag. This can only be countered by drinking more. Basically, there's like, yeah, and there's like different kinds of blood as suggested yes. by the desire for ever more pure. So like once you become a blooder and you ingest some of this robot blood liquid, you you just want to become more powerful by searching out more powerful blood to ingest. Yeah, and also... It's kind of like being a really weird and highly specific vampire. Yeah, yeah. I will say the other thing about it is like the sleeper class is also just weird and it comes with a class power called cannibal because they are fucked up. Um, and you actually do want to consume flesh. Yes. We'll Although you take, get into that. You take damage if if you roll weird and it, yeah. you, you fail the roll. <laughs> it's a good class. Speaking of robot blood, uh, somewhat uh, below Remy is a petite... You would think it's maybe a robot because it is. It's a metal-eating robotic traveler. If you look closely at her, she's you can tell that she's trying to make eye contact with Remy as to ask a question because that's what she does with Remy. She's obsessed with asking him questions. Uh, though it would be hard to tell that she's trying to make eye contact because she is a shootha, so uh, she actually is faceless. Uh, she's a human bound entirely in metallic duct tape. Um, and they have somewhat gray metal bags for heads. Um, <laughs> petite, she's, uh, she's very old. This is, this is Beta Cumbot. She's very old. Um, and she's excited to be there because she, her most important thing in life is to learn. Uh, she is a peer, meaning that she is a somewhat of a doctor, therapist, uh, and she's very interested in learning the communication and culture of different organisms. 
Uh, can you give me just a clean read of uh, your character's name again? This is Beta Cumbot. Say that again. Can we get that, that one more time? <laughs> Let's just Beta. Get... Yep. Cumbot. Spell that for me. C O M B O T. Not Cumbot. Cumbot. I thought okay, it was Cumbot. Okay. All right. All right. Oh. That's, that's that's what we're trying to make uh, one sure. One more is. time. This is Beta. Come, this is beta combat. All right, I just want to just put a pin in this moment that this is Shannon's choice. (laughs) Going forward, okay, everything that happens from here on out is Shannon chose. (laughs) This is this is the timeline that we have selected into. (laughs) Listen, she can't choose her name. This is what she was born with. Yep. Fair. That is sure. not true because uh, Remy <laughs> chose his name. <laughs> uh, I guess, uh, yeah, Remy Remy knows that Beta's looking at him and looks down and is like, what's up? So, what's the oldest thing you remember? Oldest thing I remember? That's a good question. I remember, I remember lots of things. I remember Earth. I remember, I think the oldest thing I remember is is like the way they used to do music notes. They used to write them down on paper. You know what paper is? Wait a second. I have got to write this down. Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) She pulls out a piece of paper. (laughs) 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 Now, what is it that you said? (laughs) So paper, paper was the stuff. It was this, I don't know what you're writing on right now, but paper was the stuff. They made it from trees. It was like they harvested lots of trees and pounded them very flat and very thin. They used the fibers because trees were a type of biological species. As you're describing this, Algar bursts in through the curtain that separates his office from the hallways of the Basilicon, which is the portion of Spindle that acts as the kind of like administrative hub. It's where all the offices are. And he says, sorry, sorry. Uh, And he navigates between all of you to sit at his weird metal desk. Algar is a tall and skinny human. Uh, He's middle-aged. He's got a swept back, longish salt and pepper hair. He's got a very strong jaw. Um, All of you have worked with him a lot. Um, over the last period of time, so you know him well. Uh, You know that he was born on Spindle. Um, He wears a gray refactor suit, the left half of which is covered in the same kind of moss uh, as his wall, except when he sits at his desk, it's the half that's opposite the wall. He also wears four watches on his right arm, so on the arm that is opposite the wall that is covered in clocks. Um, And he has a dense layer of nearly microscopic beetles that are collected all along his chin, forming a kind of like rugged looking, like very handsome, but always moving stubble. And he says, thank you so much for coming on short notice. I I hope that you've taken some time here to get acquainted with one another uh, as the directorate needs to send you on a last minute mission of utmost importance. I'm sure you can understand. I'm so glad you saw all the notes that I put under your doors uh, late, late last night. I've actually just come back from a meeting with the directorate and some of the members of the archive and well by chance the four of you are the only fleeters currently able uh you know because of the unfortunate incidences that befell your previous associated crews and then he becomes like a little morose and he goes again the worshipful company extends its deepest sympathies to the 
recent loss of all of your former teammates. And he bows his head a little bit. Anyways, on to business. The Directorate has learned via the archive of a resident on a nearby planet on a Rigamont B, which I'm sure you all know of. It's the smaller of the two Saffron and Nox's worlds. Um, she's a, the resident is a, is a boss uh, by the name of Asa Lehrer. Title here it says is, is, a, is Arn Vader. Um, I believe I'm pronouncing this correctly. On on Vader, is this making sense so far? Not a word, but a keep going. Yes, yes, yes. As you know, uh, the boss, they're, they're, uh, this, the exceptional race, uh, very mysterious, very few of them around, uh, very, very rare. They have a, um, a precisely 200,000-day lifespan. And uh, over, over that span, they seek to perfect one skill. Uh, they become galaxy-level talent at the thing that they do as, you know, boss cuisine amongst the best I in, in the universe, if you, of course, have a similar arrangement of taste buds. Uh, boss art. Uh, not not just the best art in existence, but some think the best art even possible. So, um, as is perhaps suggested by her title, uh, the Anvader Lehrer is a commandant uh, she's a, a military captain for hire uh, and a very, very accomplished one, it says here. And he's uh, like rifling through some papers that he had under his arm when he burst through his office. Or um, I should say she was a very accomplished military captain. What the archive has learned is that her 200,000th day is approaching. Uh, she is about to die. And apparently despairing of, you, you know, her life's work, the turmoil that she's fermented, uh, all of the people that she has subjugated and helped to defeat and, and kill and oppress, uh, she is inviting all of those people of the various worlds to visit her estate on Rigamont B, the lesser of the Saffron and Nox's worlds, to say their piece and to take back from her estate the spoils of her various conflicts to take them back to where they belong to their rightful homes to the to the people who she took them from but you see she has something in her collection which belongs to the directorate uh it uh, uh and he's like flipping through he's like trying to read something closely on this piece of paper that he has and he's like shuffling around and you can tell that he's unsure of what he's about to say like it's sort of unclear and he says it's um a vase or a or a briefcase or an an apple uh it, it might be a, a clock of some kind uh, if i'm to understand it's a it's a difficult to perceive object and so it should be relatively clear when you find it they'd like you to go uh, to the estate where where it is um, and to get it back and of course uh just grab whatever else you can that uh, might happen to be left behind that hasn't yet been uh, removed from the premises, of, as you will. So let me get this straight, Doc. Can I call you Doc? I don't know. Have we worked I, together? I know you're not a doctor. Anyway, you it doesn't keep, matter. You keep We've known each other for several years, and I've told you several <laughs> times that I'm not a doctor, but I'm used to it by now. So, okay, Doc. Yes. So we're going we're gonna to go rob an elderly lady who's dying. Uh, no, it. Uh, she is uh, not uh, going to stop you. Um, she is inviting everybody to come and remove from her estate uh, the things that are hers through actions of war and which she now feels as though she no longer has a right to. She got religion and is now atoning. Got it, got it. 
Oh, yes. Also, uh, the boss uh, don't really age in uh, a stereotypical sort of way. So I think that, you know, though she will be, ooh, what will it be, nearly 500 years old, uh, I don't think that she will appear elderly in any way. <laughs> that wasn't my concern, but thanks for clarifying. Anyways, perhaps you see the urgency of the task at hand that, um, you know, there will be plenty of callers to the Anvader Lehrer's estate uh, seeking both what is theirs and what is not theirs. The company is in a particular position to get something that is, uh, you know, rightfully uh, should should belong in the archive, should be uh, here on spin. Um, but we're also in a particular position to defend uh, any goods that might be stolen and to see that they are properly studied and cared for. Uh, so, you know, we we just want to make sure that we get there as soon as possible uh, so that we uh, we can procure these items uh, before they are taken by those who do not actually have any claim to them. Alger? May I call you Alger? That is my name. <laughs> Silly of me. Uh, Beta is blushing, doesn't really know how to talk to Alger. If it's not obvious already, she has a huge crush on Alger. Um... <laughs> uh, he does. Ki- he does kind of look like Space Pierce Brosnan, just with like um, beetles smeared across his face. <laughs> and and Beta has recently discovered the rom con genre of ancient ancient Earth, and has uh, been studying it. And uh, uh, Shitha's has have like one desire, and it's to learn by experience. So she she has she has big dreams for her and Algar. Um, Helger. Um, yes, what is, what is it, Beta? Take your, I, take if, your time. It's, it's fine. So, take your time, Beta. Just breathe in and sorry out. Sorry if I've, I missed what you said. <clears throat> How many more days does she have left? The, the boss will say that they are towards the end of their life within a span that is quite large. I, I can't say for sure. She could have anywhere between a day or two, um, or, you know, several decades. Uh, but, uh, it is best to get on with it. Are there many other bosses there? Oh, uh, as far as I know, no. The boss are few and far between, and uh, they tend to travel, uh, as you would say, a a lonesome path. I cannot wait to meet her. (laughs) Alrighty, you can count on good old Mercus to get you all there. He hands uh, Mercus the contract uh, with the company uh, that includes all the information um, since, you know, the the Banshee as the one who does the navigating and uh, will help you travel is sort of like considered the first in command um, in the absence of uh, a witness or an actual manager. And Algar says, I know it's customary. You'll want to look over the paperwork. If you have any questions, just let me know. What kind of environment is this? Are we going to be able to breathe or move without suits? Yes, the atmosphere on Rigamont B is, uh, it is a Goldilocks world, so uh, you should have no trouble breathing, finding water, uh, finding uh, nutrition. It, it won't be a problem. Ah, sounds good to me. Does anyone else have any questions? No, let's do it. If you, uh, if you want to roll will on the contract um, and you pass a will check, then, you know, we'll say that you have sort of read through some of the legalese, some of the corporate legalese of the contract that you're going to sign and uh, will have figured out things that Algar potentially has not told you. Okay. Um, and uh, here we will just pause to describe the main mechanic of Stillfleet, which is uh, the check. 
Basically, in order to succeed at any task of standard difficulty, you have to get a six or higher on a dice roll in its relevant attribute. Um, each character has five attributes. They are combat, movement, reason, willpower, and charm. And each of those attributes has a score. Scores are dice types, and with only a few restrictions based on class, players can distribute dice to attributes however they want at character creation. Uh, and the dice types they get to distribute are 1d12, 1d10, 1d8, and 2d6s, or you can trade in the 2d6s to get another d8 and a d4. Uh, so in this situation, willpower, for instance, represents what in Dungeons and Dragons you might call perception or insight, what in Shadowrun you might call perception or judging intentions. So here the team is going to do the kind of like mundanely difficult task of reading a contract. Uh, and if they successfully do that uh, by rolling a six or higher on willpower, they will find info in the contract that is not explicitly discussed. Uh, Mercus sticks out a long lizard-like tongue to lick uh, the T-Rex sort of short-armed finger <laughs> to rifle through the paper, <laughs> and oh, got a two. A two. Damn. You do see uh, there is actually something very clear as you're flipping through. You don't need to cut through any of the language in order to understand this. Uh, there is a page that just has a big header on it that says loadout. Um, and it says uh, rucksacks times four C acquisitions. Ah, it looks like we need to pick up some stuff. Ah, yes, that's right. I completely forgot. Uh, make sure on your way out, you stop by acquisitions. They will give you large rucksacks so that you can uh, take whatever you happen to find and transport it with ease. Wonderful. Oh, the other thing that you will do is um, once you travel to Rigamont B, um, you will be met by a local refactor in the town. She will outfit you with a mount and that will take you to the estate. It's a it's a short journey uh, from the Stiffworks to the estate, uh, but transportation will be arranged. Great. I can drive pretty much anything. Yeah, I can't read. So anyone else want to take a look at their contract? <laughs> <laughs> what? What? D4 and Will can't read. <laughs> I think Not, you, you could probably read. You just like get really bored very easily. Simply, simply illiterate. Uh, I, yeah, I think you could come on. You can read, but it's just like me trying to read a book now in 2020. Not going to happen. Uh, yeah, I, exactly. there, I have an in-canon explanation, but, I, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> the incanon explanation was that he's a sleeper, so he was asleep, and the, the cryosleep destroyed parts of his brain. Oh. Including reading comprehension, which, again, overrated. Remy's very, very of the moment. Uh, anyone else want to give the paperwork a try? Give the paperwork a look, or are you going to amscray? Alga, I have a question. Yes. A question, Alga. An answer. Yes. The, uh, tell me about the rucksacks. What? What do they look like? Large, roll top, uh, waterproof, mm, lots of strappy bits. Yes, yes, okay, those are them, yes. <laughs> Algar is looking very confused at Venus. All right, Algar, we'll be back. Okay, you sign the contract and go on your way? Yeah. No, I'm going to read I'm going to try and read it. Uh, Remy's going to try and read it just for shits, okay. just to see if he can, in fact, read. Um, if you, what's your, what's your reason? What's your reason roll? Uh, 1d8 plus 1. Okay, yeah, I would let you roll reason on this. 
Okay. Well, while he's doing that, Beta keeps on <laughs> two. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. This is a lot of fucking words, dude. <laughs> ah, reading's overrated. Wow. I know they're gonna fuck us anyway, so who cares? Let's see how it different is. How it's different this time. Well, Remy grabbed the papers to look at them. Uh, Beta is just taking the pen to sign the contract and keeps on dropping it. Uh, she recently read in this rom con literature that it's it's cute to make to to make mistakes or to be klutzy. Uh, so she's trying to embody that. Beta, Whoops. I can I, Beta, I can tell that you're dropping the pen on purpose. Whoops. Wait. Whoops. <laughs> Yo, Doc. She's not. Do, she's not doing that on purpose. She just does that sometimes. It's weird. Yes. It happens like sixteen times in a row, and then she. You, yeah. She kind of the last several it. contracts that I have asked her to sign. She has pretended to drop the pen four or five times in a row. It's I like I have soapy hands. I will say it is. In fact, it is quite charming. I don't think it's. I don't think she's pretending, Doc. I think. I think it's a, a condition. I'm a little worried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Mercus makes his way over in. Uh... Licks a licks a hand and stamps it on the paper. You guys, uh, Algar wishes you luck. He's like, good luck, and please remember, bring back anything. Bring back whatever you can. You know, and I know that uh, our continued success here at the company is premised entirely upon what we can, you know, give to acquisitions. So uh, whatever you find, just please bring back as much of it as you can. All right, Doc, you know us. We'll get some stuff. Yes, yes, Doc. Yes, good luck. Bon voyage. So you guys leave Algar's office, and uh, do you want to head to Acquisitions and get your backpacks? Yeah. Venus, you're very interested in the rucksacks. Yes. Well, I was I was reweaving recently, and I got a bunch of bags mixed up, and I wanted to make sure that I was going to be grabbing the right one. Uh, some history <laughs> with some bags. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. I reweave uh, so I can go back in time and come back. You can go Hi. back in time? Yes. Hi. Why? What? Why? What's the point? There's nothing back there. That's where you were. Yeah, no, I'm not. I mean, he. I mean, he's not wrong. Well, Beta, Beta perks up. Going back in time. <laughs> yes. Have you ever I, dealt with a tribulant before? Oh, I've. I. I have. I've never <laughs> met one this close up who actually talked back to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of, kind of known as a big old weirdo around here. <laughs> oh, Venus. Hey, what's up? Yes. Uh, we, I didn't catch your name because we didn't in- actually introduce each other. Yeah, it was nice to meet uh, you. Nice to meet you. Yeah, Remy. Uh, Mercus, also very nice to meet you. Hello. Beta, I know who you are. Great to Thank meet you. you all. You're walking your way through all of these winding hallways carved out of this black rock, and you come to uh, Acquisitions, which is sort of at the entrance, uh, you could say, of the Basilicon. The Acquisitions department is the closest thing that there is to a warehouse on Spindle. It's one of the only very large and cavernous room blobs that exist. And unless you've worked in Acquisitions, likely you've only ever seen a very small part of it. Um, You know, and, and even that only through the open twin doors that's behind its sprawling front desk. And, you know, through those slivers, through those doors as they're open momentarily, you can just see these incredibly high, very densely packed shelves. And it's here that the company um, accepts all of the things that you must turn in uh, at the end of a mission, uh, where treasure and archaea tech, as it is called, um, archaic pieces of technology from many of the uh, past and fallen civilizations that you might find while you are venturing about, uh, this is where all of that is turned 
tuned in, and it is also where you receive items that you have been gifted by the company for use in the execution of your duties. Um, and sometimes uh, as a gift to say thanks. There's always someone new that is sitting at the front of the acquisition desk, and today it is a young Enjan woman. Uh, the Enjan are plant people. This young woman, which you can tell sort of from the, the colorings of her leaves, uh, she looks something like a yucca tree uh, with a flowering cactus, a flowering pink cactus for a head. And her long pointed green fingers are shuffling through some papers on this massive desk as you approach. And uh, Mercus, are you, do you have the paperwork? Or are you going to be the one to approach? Yeah, I do. Uh, so as you as you walk up, uh, Enjan, uh, famously uh, very quiet, uh, they talk just by sort of of vibrating leaves. Um, and so she whispers, how can I help you? And Rickus slaps down the, the paper and says, uh, looks like we need some rucksacks. <sighs> you got the nice one. Um, and she takes the paper uh, that you slap down on the table and goes through the door on the left comes out a few seconds later, and she has four, uh, like, sort of bunched in her arms. She's hugging them. Large roll-top rucksacks that are made of this uh, slick rubbery material that's always slightly wet to the touch. It's like it's it's lubricated, um, and it has a complex arrangement of straps made from a, a very fibrous kind of weave, and all these plasticky buckles around it, so you could lash all manner of things to the outside of these bags. Um, and she takes the coupon uh, that you uh, that you had put down. She sort of puts it puts it in a drawer, puts it in a filing cabinet, um, and hands over these large bags. Um, and uh, yeah, you each get one real big bag. Thank you, miss. And Mercus puts it on and is so comfortable because uh, he has, he kind of always looks wet on account of a protective secreted mucus that helps him breathe and stay cool. And so it's kind of like rubbing salamander skin on salamander skin. So it's like real, real nice. Binos turns around and sees that his bag has actually been placed by another bag. And uh, so he picks up the bag that he knows is the right bag now um, and double checks a note that he sent to himself when he rewove. Uh, Vinos can give himself notes from the future because he rewove, because <laughs> he he reweaved um, to the past, um, and so he's he's done that, and um, he's just got a note on the note that says it's a winky note because you're not supposed to meddle like this, but he uh, gets the right bag because in the other timeline he picked up the wrong bag, which was bad. Um, so he's got the he's got the right bag now. And it was like a butterfly flaps its wings and like a planet is destroyed yeah. level bad. Yeah, probably. So is Venus just like uses his power to travel just because he's like an old forgetful man and he's just trying to remember things? Um, I think I think he only reweaves to give himself a note if it's really important. So I think that's why he made sure he knew what the bags look like and he got the right one this time. Because, he said, what is, yeah. What did so the, did the note say anything, or was the note just an indication that this is the right backpack, so something terrible doesn't happen? So the note just says make uh, make sure you get the right bag, which is what cued him to ask the question about what do the bags look like. Um. <laughs> is there anything that you guys want to do, either on spin or in your own quarters, before you head to the bays and head off to Rigamont B? No, I think no. Yeah, I'm I'm wondering um, if. Beta goes back and collects some notes about bosses and like what she knows about them because she is a xenobiologist 
as a as her side hustle. So she studies uh, different species of the universe, and she's probably going to be secretly taking tons of notes so she could bring it back to her senior archivist. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, there's probably a lot that you might already know. Um, mm. And it's questionable, like, you, as a crew, you might know some of these things about the boss. Um, you know, you might have sort of learned in your travels what their deal is. But I think you specifically would almost certainly know a fair amount. So the boss, and it's spelled uh, B-A-A-S. The boss, no one knows really where they come from. Uh, they ostensibly have a home world or a place of birth. Um, it's very mysterious. No one knows. No one knows where that is. Um, no one really even knows if they are born or made. Uh, it's unclear whether or not they are constructs. The fact that they have a lifespan that is exactly 200,000 days is what leads a lot of people to think that they must be made, perhaps by some other even more powerful race. Uh, so, like, some of the rumors are that the boss are actually something made by uh, extra dimensional beings um, in order to help shape the trajectory of history on various planets. Um, uh, it is true that like uh, generally they choose over their 200,000 day life to become galactic level masters at one skill because there aren't that many of them in general. There aren't that many sort of boss practitioners of things, but the ones that exist are very, very famous. So like Algar said, you know, there's been maybe like one boss chef and his cuisine was considered to be just the best that you could possibly have. Mm. Um, you know, there's been a, there's been like maybe two boss architects. Um, there's one boss armorer that existed. Um, and uh, the Onvader Lehrer, uh, the, the woman who you are going to go meet, is um, amongst the very few boss commandants, like, you know, military people. Um, they are humanoid, uh, so they, they are like human shaped, uh, and they are very large. Uh, they're just quite big. How big? Um, like, like giant sized. Mm. Ooh. Oh, cool. And and of course, she looks um, when she's looking up all this information, she looks at the one column she has for every um, alien species, which is, do they fall in love? And is there a check mark there? <laughs> Big old question mark. Oh, she's going to find out. Um, the boss are famously attractive. That's wow. going to be hard for Beta. <laughs> <laughs> Mercus pulls out a stylophone, which is an old school, like, handheld synthesizer, but he doesn't know what that is. He thinks it's a, <laughs> it's a captain's log. So he pulls out the little pen stylus and just starts, like, scribbling nonsense and going, Captain's log, day one, picked up rucksacks, and then puts it back into a pocket. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, Remy just... Uh... Is, has his flute out and is just absentmindedly tootling. Just, just tootling some melodies. Are we ready? <sighs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> the bays is the section of spindle that you leave from. The bays constitute nearly half of the total area of the space station, and they contain countless numbers of what are called stiffworks. And stiffworks are smooth black portals 
which when activated by a banshee, which is what Mercus is, a banshee with the appropriate training, they will transport you to another stiff work that is potentially light years away. So from Spindle, you do not travel using spaceships, you travel using a kind of porthole uh, that you can control with your mind. Most fleeters depart from a section of bays called the Near Bays, uh, which sit just below what are called the Flats, which is where everybody on Spindle lives, um, except for the people who are in charge, like the Directorate and the Archivists. The stiff works in the near bays lead to major provinces, uh, like locations with a strong human presence uh, or with which the company has a good and ongoing trade relationship. Uh, There are also far bays, which lead to more provincial and far-flung locations, and then even further down are the dormant bays. There are lots of dormant bays. These stiff works lead to unexplored alien worlds, and in some cases, seemingly nowhere at all. As we talked about, as is usually the case, in the absence of a company witness, uh, the crew banshee is considered the first in command and given the paperwork for the job. Uh, This paperwork includes what's called a tack map, which is a chart that shows which stiff works in the bays will most easily lead to the intended destination and a four-dimensional kind of chart uh, which is like a, a it's like a series of mental calculations that given their special training allows a banshee to mentally activate and open a stiff work to its intended destination. Uh, so Mercus, looking at your paperwork and looking at the tack map, you can see that it leads you to a stiff work in the near bays. So you're gonna go to a you're gonna go to a stiff work that's gonna be pretty easy to use. Uh, so we find the stiff work. Great. As you're passing through the flats, you go into the near bays. Um, you enter into a little corner of uh, Little Waitana, uh, which is a little—it's like a, almost like a neighborhood on Spindle that's home to a lot of the lower-income Waitens. Um, and uh, Waitens are a very common race of cricket-like bug people uh, whose social structure is very similar to humans, and with whom humanity has gotten along really well for the last. Uh, last few millennia, and I think it's like something like fully a third of the population on Spindle are Waitens, these like person-sized cricket people. Uh, So you pass by a number of stalls with a bunch of items uh, like snacks, Waitens snacks. Uh, So if any of you wants like a large, large knots of wood, um, thick rubbery leaves, uh, or like oat porridge with bits of chitinous shell floating in it, Mm. Uh, you can you can buy this from uh, from some some quote unquote street vendors, some flats vendors. Uh, when uh, Remy is walking by and is only looking for anything that says "What are you waiting for?" as like a, a restaurant name <laughs> or stall name. Beta is taking a look at the cart itself and seeing if if it's made out of metal. The cart, the cart that that it's on. Yeah, like uh, any kind of cart or vendor, like the vendor carts. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Remy looks at Beta and says, "Yo, you're hungry too." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I forgot to eat. You know, yeah, I you got so excited. It? I was gonna see Elgar, and you know, <laughs> your stomach just really. Yeah. Just, <sighs> I get you. I think we should wait. I think we should wait. Yeah, you're right. I uh, think we should I wait. Know. We should wait. And <laughs> oh, you love puns. <laughs> I love that pun specifically. <laughs> Venus goes up to a little uh, a little uh, food cart called um, Peyton's Waitin' Satan um, and gets a <laughs> wheat-based vegan treat 
and puts it in his large robe pocket. Uh, yeah, you have like a like a it's it's sort of like a bundle of sticks that someone has chewed on for a while. That sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> really good. Um, <laughs> uh, none of the unfortunately none of the carts are made of metal. It's all made of a kind of like almost petrified rock or a uh, petrified wood. Yeah, that's what Beta thought would be. Look, the case. Beta, Beta, baby, mm. come on, mm. we'll find some we'll find some stuff on uh, with the boss people, right? They they're huge. They gotta have big metal and large meat. Yes, you're right. You're right. You know what? You are always right, Remy. You know so much, and I can learn so much from you. And you know, I just need to be quiet sometimes. It's okay. You can. You can just. 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 Your Alger's not here. Calm down. We're good. You're, you're right. You're right. You're right. Let's get this. Let's Ooh. get through this. Let's get this job done. All right, so you make your way to the indicated Stiffworks. Uh, there's no one else around. Uh, traffic's pretty light today. Uh, this Stiffworks, like all the others, it's just a smooth matte black circle, barely indistinguishable from the rest of the smooth black that Spindle is made from. Mercus, you can tack whenever you're ready. Uh, Mercus is mumbling and looking down at the tack map. <laughs> and then uh, without really saying anything to anyone... Um, places a hand uh, with... So Mercus has four fingers, but they're not really fingers. They're like little bulbies, you know? (laughs) Lizards have bulby, sticky things. And so it makes this, like, four little suction cup sounds as it uh, hits the stiff work. And tacks. Uh, As Mercus does this, visually, nothing changes, um, but all of you can feel a difference. Where you're standing, uh, the space that you're in suddenly feels more open. And you all know that this is the feeling. This indicates that the stiff works that Mercus has just tacked is now open. And you have a wormhole portal uh, onto Rigamont B. Shall we? And uh, We Mer- should. And Mercus goes through first. Walking into a stiff works, which, uh, Mercus, you have done many times before, uh, but we will describe it for the benefit of the audience, is like walking into a completely pitch black room. Um, There's no resistance when you cross the threshold of the stiff works, but as you walk forward, um, it feels like the passageway is getting smaller and smaller and smaller until it's pushing on your shoulders. But it's not. You can't really feel any force. It just feels like the space around you is is hugging you ever closer. It's kind of like the space. It's kind of like space itself is going. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. And it collapses and collapses, but it remains somehow this infinite expanse until a familiar, sort of indescribable moment when you know you can feel that you're just somewhere else. The atmosphere is slightly different. The air no longer smells of the algae-scented, like, odor of spin. The gravity is the same, but it feels natural. Mercus, you have arrived on Rigamont B. Everybody else follows? Yes. Yes. Yeah, you all have the same experience, just going into this ever-decreasing space, this black expanse, until just suddenly the air is fresher. The gravity's nicer. It's now, you know, that nice old school analog gravity. Love it. Beta says to the group, you know, I never really get used to that. And in fact, you do all feel, uh, as is often the case, slightly nauseated. Mercus whips out the stylophone again and goes, Captain's log, successful tack from Spindle to Rigamont B, and uh, looks at the stiff work that they just came out of. What kind is it? 
It is provincial. Provincial. Great. Uh, so different kinds of stiff works cost different amounts of what is called grit to operate. And it looks like a provincial gate. We'll have no problem getting back. Um, so just to describe, grit is basically a, uh, a spendable attribute that it represents you doing stressful tasks. And different characters have different amounts of grit that they can spend. So like, I imagine each of you has like somewhere around 20 grit. Mm-hmm. About, yeah. No. <laughs> what do you have, like I mean, 40? Four, 14, but like... Okay, yeah. Whoa. Like, I would say that's around 10, not around 20, personally. I have 23. Um, yeah, the peer would have a lot of grit. Yeah. I also have 22 health, which means I can turn that into grit also. Because I can easily regen health. Okay, so you have arrived on the Saffron Anax's smaller world, referred to as Rigamont B, RB, or Jam 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 Jam. Oh my gosh. This is straight from the Coral Rulebook, baby. Jam Jam. It is a, it's a bright spring day. You guys would know these worlds. You would know the Saffron and Axis worlds. Uh, they're, they're pretty famously uh, ruled by um, a kind of tyrannical uh, trade lord called the Saffron Anax. Um, it's uh, Rigamont B and Rigamont A are two planets that spin around one another, around their orbital sun. And uh, most fleeters refer to them as the Lovers. So you emerge into a small wooden construction building. Um, you can see that there's a bright sun uh, shining through a number of small holes in this open thatched roof. Uh, but it's cool. It's nice and comfortable. It's not too hot. And around you, there's actually a number of uh, human merchants. Uh, there are some waitins, and their tables are covered in mostly like handmade trinkets, like little wood carved toys, you know, things like yo-yos. Uh, or that uh, that ball that ball in a cup on a string kind of thing, little uh, little statuettes uh, and various other like knickknacks. Ooh! Approaching you, as Algar uh, had said, is a small woman. Uh, she's like forty years old, human. She's got dark hair, tired eyes, um, and she's holding a very familiar skinny refactor clipboard. It's piled so high with papers that the mechanism is like barely able to hold on to all of the stuff that she has. Uh, and she says, right on time, this way to your mounts. And she begins walking out through uh, what you can see now is kind of like an arrival hall. This is like, you know, a gift shop for fleeters visiting this otherwise rather poor planet. And we follow along? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So you see, you know, once you leave the hall, it's just a small provincial village, lots of wood construction houses. Uh, you see some wood workshops, dirt roads, uh, and you see wooden carriages that are drawn by uh, Zogs, uh, Z-O-G-S. Um, a Zog is a kind of like pale, featherless dinosaur. Um, it's like a cross between a velociraptor and a giant plucked chicken. And uh, this is uh, the sort of like the beast of burden that exists on a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, provincial planets. Uh, so you're taken to a small stable on the edge of town, um, and this woman gestures at four zogs, and they're outfitted with saddles and straps for your bags. And then she points off into the distance, and she says, "The Onvader's estate is several hours in that direction. Just head due north. Uh, the terrain is mostly flat, and as you know, the Saffron Anax rules without mercy. So 
You shouldn't encounter any aggressors along the way. You should, however, just be aware, if Algar didn't inform you, the Anvader uh, has an understanding with the Saffron Anax. Uh, her estate is sovereign land. It is likely safe, but you should know uh, that many people have arrived at her estate over the last several days to make claim to various objects, uh, and some violence has ensued. Uh, good luck will be awaiting your return. And she walks away. Uh, Mercus is so hella uncomfortable on this Zog because it is also a lizard-type being. <laughs> and it's like telling a cousin, like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very, very sorry, miss. I'm very, very, very sorry, miss. But, uh... <laughs> oh, oh, God. <laughs> Beta's quietly thinking to herself, while she doesn't want there to be any conflict... She hopes there are more people there just for another chance to meet someone new or meet other people. It's, uh, she, she's nervous. She's going to have to make a first impression, of course, but uh, she's kind of quietly excited at, at the idea that there may be more people there. Remy's just hungry, and he's, he's stopping himself from uh, having a snack on the way to the place. That means eating a person, right? Just to be be clear. Eating this mount specifically. (laughs) That would not be in your interest. Yeah, that's why he's he's like, hmm. Hmm. I would like to, but I shouldn't, so I won't. But who knows? He's he's he will arrive hungry. All right, miss, I don't want to say hia, but if you could, you know, uh trot along as if I said hia, we could go really quickly. Uh, yeah, you guys trot off. Um, you have a couple hours, um, like, just flat terrain, boring. You've been told that because of the uh, extreme tyranny of the leader of this planet that uh, there's, you know, very it's very unlikely that you will be aggressed upon. So uh, Vinos takes out um, an ancient map of this world, and is, uh, it's, like, uh, about 100 years old, and he's just looking at it and looking around. Um, one of the things, if you have the power to go back in time, that helps is being able to get your bearings for where things that you do in the past will affect the future based on what the future is now and what and how that aligns with what it used to be on maps. So he's Hold kind on of a second. I, I got to get my slide ruler out. <laughs> so, he's, so he's just looking <laughs> at a, he's just looking at an ancient map and kind of looking around. Um, and you can you would be able to see on if this map is a hundred years old, mm-hmm. uh, the the Onvader's estate would be on it. Yep. Um, and you can see, yeah, if basically if you head straight for about an hour and a half, uh, you're gonna you're gonna bump right into it. Well, first um, of all, how do and Mercus leans over uh, and says, "Hey there, uh, Beta and Remy, how do y'all know each other?" Oh, we've we've known each other hmm, how many years now? It hasn't been that long. Okay, let's get let's get let's keep it keep it reasonable. Only like a couple. I feel like we've we've been we've been on missions near each other. You know, I try. I'm surprised I haven't met either of you because I try to meet everyone on Spin. You know, um, Remy here is you know a great friend, but also um, full of information, which is great. Which is great for a friend to be. Yeah, she likes that. I I you know like. My whole thing was I was last century on Earth. Whenever that happened, I got some blood. It was tasty. I ate some dudes and then I went to cryosleep because I got too hungry. And I was like, well, I can't. I can only eat these government dudes so long uh, before they figure it out. So did the cryosleep thing. I don't know what happened. Uh, That was it. Uh, My brain, 
they tell me is uh is a little fried i think that was the word they used um this explains a lot so i just woke up on spin and i was like i don't know how i got here but seems tight better than it was uh, i still have my stuff I got new stuff i have a room that's nice so yeah things are good things are good i i met uh i met beta after one of those missions in the big uh, the big i call it a cafeteria that's what they used to call it when i was around uh, uh the ca- the canteen you're right. When I was alive the first time, they called it a cafeteria. But uh, I've started to think of this as like a second chance, and uh, I'm I'm very excited to to have a second chance uh, at uh, having a lease on life. It's another thing they used to say. But yeah, we know each other because of that. I we just I saw her and I was like, well, this is a this person's made out of metal, and also I don't know anyone else here. And I don't know. It seemed like the metal was friendly. I think you're friendly too. How long has Remy been awake? Just out of curiosity. I think only a couple of years. Okay. Just like not, not, he, he has no idea, but I think a couple of years. Um, when sleepers sleep, where do they go to sleep? You mean, where did they, where had they slept? Yeah. Um, where are their physical bodies? Well, so I think Remy was in a, like a cryo sleep chamber that, um, somehow got ported to spin. I um, see. But he'd been in there for millennia. Like this was a, this was a person who's been, who's been frozen for a very long time. Like Remy was probably sold as a like like an item for yeah. a thousand or more years yeah. and just changed hands over and over and over again. And then eventually came to just be mm-hmm. basically owned by the company. Is that? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, he's he's I mean, he's 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 fine with it because he was he was not having the greatest of times back on back on Earth. Uh, you guys are slowly crossing this flat, dry landscape. Uh, you probably have about another, maybe 45 minutes remaining. Some so, of you guys, Venus, wh- how did you learn how to time travel? What, what, what was that about, bro? Well, that's just the path that I chose. I always had a connection to time. Um, since I was a little boy, um, other kids would wish for little trinkets or baubles, and I would always wish for another minute. um and so i i I learned the ways and i still continue to learn the ways of the weird at the howling lamp it has done me and served me well what did you want another minute for what would you do with those extra minutes if you had them as a child well you know it's a good question i never had an answer i just wanted another minute that's fucked bro yeah (laughs) i like it though thank you i like you you're good thank you i appreciate it Marcus, what's your deal? Why are you? Why? What's with the the thing? It looks like a. It looks like a. The thing that you're writing on. What's what's the deal with that? This Zog creature. Mike, I feel like it's related to me, but she doesn't speak. So I guess she's not really Jalasti or anything like that. Huh. To, to be clear, also you are all riding on Zogs. You are each on a giant plucked chicken dinosaur. Yes. I feel some connection to it, but. She, she cannot speak back. Uh, alas. <laughs> I can't wait to tell my brother Marcos about all this. Uh, and uh, he goes on a big yarn about the day of our finding. Uh, Mercus and Marcos and all of their agglomeration of brothers were technically kidnapped by the Archive. Um, they were exploring trees on the planet Darasan and took a sample twig that happened to be full of Jalasti eggs. And uh, Mercus, I remember 
my mother weeping tears of joy as our twig was ripped from the tree. And he's just like speaking as if it's a very like wonderful moment and he's very grateful for it, but uh, does not realize that him and his, you know, 26 brothers uh, were kidnapped and all trained to be banshees for for uh, spin. Oh, so they're all banshees. Yeah. So I I share a broom blob with my brother Marcos, and it has we have a really big shoe collection. We love shoes. I can tell you love shoes. You're wearing three of them. Oh yes, I love these duck boots. They're so great for all terrain weather. But sometimes I like wearing my Charles Taylors, my Germanian <laughs> Sport Cats, and my Sport Victories. Can I ask a question that you might not have an answer to, which is how old is Marcus? Oh, Mercus is... Is, is uh, Mercus like, like a nine-year-old boy? <laughs> uh, kind of, like maybe maybe 12-ish, but that's pretty <laughs> old for a gelasi. Okay. <laughs> He's definitely just, younger I, than Marcos. I'm uh, definitely picturing him like organizing his uh, base, baseball cards. <laughs> yeah, in, you know, rows of three. Remy says, Beta, hang in there. We'll get there soon. <sighs> I hope the Voss likes me. I hope um, they have something to eat. I, you know, you know what, Remy? I think you're going to be all right. <laughs> oh. You can see, um, you know, after you've been uh, riding for about an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes, you can see the estate um, a, a little bit far out. Um, you can you can see it a long while before you're there because it's quite big. You can see it growing in the horizon. It's this large, dull, kind of seashell white building. It has a long, flat base, and it's uh, a few stories tall uh, in the center, and there are these two really skinny towers on either side of it. Very tall. Um, it's all very angular, and it's all very geometric. It's all very straight and, and narrow, except for the tower on the left. Uh, from a distance, you can see that it looks kind of bulbous. And you can see that there are like some darker dull spots in this even white color. And as you get closer and closer and closer, it starts to look like the estate is actually vibrating a little bit or, or shimmering. And you can actually hear it before you can figure out what it is. There's this dull kind of clacking sound. It's like the sound of material sliding back and forth and all of these distant mechanisms and you can see that the estate is actually moving. It's, it's made up, it looks like, of thousands, if not millions, of tiny little panels all poked through with uneven holes like Swiss cheese. And they're constantly in motion. You get closer and closer and closer, and you can see that they're constantly reconfiguring the layout of the building. Through these windows on the front facade, you can see whole rooms sliding left and then right and then deeper into the building and further back. And they recede from view and they grow and they come into focus and then slide away. You can also see that the bulbous shape that you saw from afar uh, in the left the left tower is not the building, actually, but a large tree uh, which has grown up and through the left tower. And it looks like from where you're standing, unlike the rest of the architecture, that tower is motionless. Um, you can see that there's a window in it that reveals the wide trunk 
And the tree is like occupying what looks like a room. Like there's just a room in there that this tree grows through and comes out the other side of the tower. The tree is really long. It's tilted. It doesn't have any limbs. And it grows just, you know, comes up from somewhere off to the side of the estate. And at its top, there's like a dull green tuft, kind of like a, you know, kind of looks like a palm tree. The other thing that you notice as you get closer and closer, and this may be of particular interest to Remy, are the bodies. At first... You see, like, one or two. You're on your zogs, and there's, like, um, you know, a dead human with something that looks like an arrow through his throat. And you get closer and closer, and there's maybe, like, a dozen bodies every couple meters. And then two dozen. And then more and more as you approach the estate. And it's all kinds of sapiens. It's humans. It's provincial aliens. It's sapiens that you've never seen before. And it all looks like they've been killed in the midst of battling one another. They're all sort of like locked in groups of two or three or six. And uh, ostensibly, uh, they were battling for the spoils of the Onvader's estate. Um, You can see some of them have like little bits of art or books um, or like a ring here and there. You can see once you start looking at all of the bodies that some of them are bandits, you know, like ready to fight in full on battle dress and armor with weapons. Uh, And some of them are diplomats and envoys, uh, people in like smart, respectful garb, no weapons um, with, uh, you know, paperwork under their arms or sprawled, you know, thrown about on the on the ground. Um, So it's like, you know, people coming to take what they could running up against people who came to take what was rightfully theirs. As you approach, you don't sense any movement. Uh, giving everybody a look, you can see that these people have been here for a day or two at least, uh, and it seems like a lot of the action has passed. You get closer, now you're right up in front of the estate. It's huge, it's white, it's clacking, it's shifting this way and that. But you can also see that the entry gate, uh, which is in front of you about a few dozen meters, it's open and it's uh, set inside a tall white stone perimeter. There's a large stairway that leads up to the main entryway, uh, just this big arched open doorway. There's no door. It's totally open. And you can see a stationary den on the other side. It's not moving around. Uh, there's like, you know, a pretty obvious place for you to hitch up your zogs right next to the door. Remy flies down and is like, now this is my kind of place. Well, <laughs> beta and goes, Beta then follows that with, this is not my kind of place. <laughs> Nor mine. There's so much hurt here. No, it's good. This is this is great. Look, this is a person who knows what they want. They want a lot of dead people out in their yard. I like that. <laughs> Mercus is covering his uh, wide set eyes. I don't think it's decoration. I I think these bodies are really very recent. Oh oh. You want to travel back in time and see uh see what <laughs> see what happened, Doc? No. It's quite dangerous, actually. There's a chance when I travel back, I don't make it back forward. Mm-hmm. I miss mm-hmm. my chance. Mm-hmm. And so I don't do it unless I have to. And he it's like me. missing. It's like missing a train, yes. except much, much worse. A lot worse. And so he, uh, Venus also hitches up his dog. Uh, do you guys want to head inside? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so you walk up this wide, uh, wide staircase through this ornate empty opening with no door. Um, as you enter, you see right this front foyer, the den. It doesn't move, but all three of its internal walls, there's this like just dizzying architectural dance that's happening. Um, there's just the walls are constantly in motion. It's like I don't know what they're called, but you know those toy puzzles that are like the tiles in the frame that you move around in order to make a picture. 
case. Oh, yeah. And there's like one tile that's missing that gives you the spot to slide them all around. Yes. Slider, slider puzzle. Slider puzzle? Yeah. <laughs> I think there's like a name that. for it. But either way, it's kind of like that. It's like every square inch of every wall is it has a um, has a panel on it. And the panels are like a little bit smaller than a foot square. And they're just sliding around. And they're clacking and and whirring. Um, it's, it, you can hear it. It's not too loud, uh, but it definitely makes a sound. And you can see rooms on the other side of these walls come into view for a moment and then disappear. Panels open to make a doorway, and then it gets larger into a big doorway, and then even larger into a massive doorway, and then they just shrink and close, and you can see the build, You can see that room just disappear somewhere into the building. Aside from the consistent clutter of bodies that are just everywhere, uh, there's now, you know, you're in this den, you're in the foyer, um, it's, there's dead people everywhere otherwise it's kind of empty um except for one very large banquet table that is completely undecorated made of unstained rough wood it actually looks a lot like some of the wood construction that you saw at the nearby town and sitting at that table is the onvader asa Toravolt lehrer she is leaned over. She has her elbows on her knees. She's staring at the ground. And she's holding a large mug of some liquid. And as soon as you walk in, she sort of sits up a little bit, straightens her back, puts her mug down on the table, and she stands. And you can see that she is huge. The Onvader, like all boss, uh, is, as you found out doing your research beta, uh, is humanoid. She's... 14, maybe 15 feet tall. Her so her shoulders are as wide as the four of you standing next to one another. She's got long, arrow straight, dark blonde hair with these wide strands of gray in it. She's got a very wide face with a flat nose. Uh, and her face is the only skin you can see, and it is heavily scarred after, you know, you would imagine 500 years of combat and battle and war. She is very striking, not just because of how big she is and how kind of like imposing and commanding. She's also wearing her battle dress. She's wearing armor. She's got white, uh, the armor's white Sarah steel, chrome and gold, and it is clean. Uh, like, you know, this. there's all of this carnage around her, but, you know, you would guess just from how she looks that she wasn't really involved in any of it. She has a large pistol of some kind that is attached to her leg. Uh, she's got a sword in an ornate scabbard that is leaned up against the table that she's just stood up from. Um, and she's also got a large, bright green jewel in the center of her armor's, like, chest cavity. And it's ringed with what looks like a complex combination of electronics and clockwork. Uh, and as she stands, she slowly walks towards you. She raises one arm, you know, sort of like gestures to her estate. And she welcomes you. Hail and welcome. I know thee. <laughs> I hoped beyond hope. The great beggar's boat still spun in the black. And now I have found thee. You're late. Or perhaps you intended to be inevitable. Oh, Madame Lair and the uh, Mercus bows, uh, tail with the boot in the air. Uh, we come from the worshipful company. Oh, I know. I know very well. But you're late. Love what you've done with the place. This is great. I love it. You do like it? Oh, it's, it's wonderful. All of the moving stuff and all the dead people is really imposing. Uh, I'm very, I'm very, I'm very into it imposing to be a puzzle to be a joke its architect said it was an unanswerable question 
And I'm not answering, baby. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, no, but seriously, it's great. Thanks for having us. You are, of course, welcome to scour my estate as you wish. There are perhaps some things left behind. Red rolled the mists through my estate, and here you reign the dewy math of after all the bruised and hungry hands now sleep in my halls. But perhaps you are fortunate in this. Uh, she sort of gets an expectant look on her face like, am I right? All your precursors are gone in one manner or another, but perhaps there is something left. There are, after all, rooms and hallways even I don't remember. You don't seem very into the place. What's, what's going on? This is my fare thee well. And I think you would know, Algar would have explained, right? One of the things that yeah. Algar said was that, yeah, she's, you know, uh, after 500 years of uh, basically being like a warlord, she's like, you know what? Actually, ugh, maybe that was not the right thing to do. So she's, um, as she's saying this stuff, she's sort of looking out at the estate. And, you know, you can see that, in fact, you know, there's like not a lot around. There's... Uh, the shelves are empty. There's no stuff in this room other than her, an old table, her mug, her weapons, and some dead people. And, uh, you know, it's hard to sort of get a sense because they flash by so quickly. But, like, you know, a lot of the rooms that uh, f that open and close um, in the clicking and clacking of the estate, um, you know, you can see some things here and there, but uh, you can also see a lot of bodies. And Mercus puts up a finger and says, Ma'am, is there a, a logic to these rooms? Ah. Oh. You are the navigator. Correct. She raises up her giant hand and almost as if the object that she grasps was already in the air. She just sort of reaches out and like turns empty space. And as she turns it, you see it is an object, almost like it's back being revealed to you out of nowhere. Something like you'd expect from a magician's trick, but you almost can feel something in your stomach sort of twist when she does it. Uh, and she pulls out of the air, it seems, a small sort of glowing pendant on a like sparkling sort of pale silver chain. And she hands it to you, Mercus. And she says, this is a map or as close as there can be a map of the unanswerable question. The walls that heave, the ground that counts until it moves. My island, my tears, all in there. Thank you, ma'am. And uh, looking at it, you can see that, like, you know, when, when you grab it, there's a dull kind of projection that comes out of it. And it actually looks remarkably like some of the diagrams that you've seen uh, on tech maps. Um, and in a way, it's very similar. This is a four-dimensional map. Uh, this will allow you to navigate the estate that changes over time. You'll just have to do something similar uh, to what you do when you tech. Uh, you'll just have to basically do decode it a little bit and Mercus is just like fiddling with it and like just wide set eyes like getting bigger and bigger <laughs> remy's examining the bodies in the room uh what does he see uh it's the same as when you were coming in it's um all, no uh, but like all... is there is there anything useful on the bodies or is it, i mean i guess he's he's sort of trying to figure out like whether the stuff is edible but also like whether like like what these people died fighting for yeah it's edible i mean these are 
It's biological. Sure. It's biological material. Um, most of these people, it's very clear that they uh, killed one another um, and that anybody who might have been victorious has since fled. Uh, so this is like, you know, people with stab wounds, people with shot wounds, people with laser pistol wounds, um, people with strange burns on them, all, all kinds of different injuries. You can see some goods around. It's nothing that looks particularly valuable because, mm-hmm. of course, you know, in the last day or two, you would guess, you know, people have probably passed through to make sure that the place got picked over. But like, yeah, if you sift through, you can find a broken mug here and okay. like half a ripped painting there and maybe like some small bits of jewelry that have had uh, that have been scuffed up or like had the gems pried out of them. Yeah, so uh, uh, he Remy looks around and I assume finds a knife somewhere and starts yeah, uh, just yeah. grabs a couple hands and feet just for and throws them in his rucksack. Okay, you have some hands and feet in your rucksack. Sure. I'm going to say like four, two of each. Mercus, looking at the map that you are given, um, you can see that you are in the den. There is a kitchen, a library, a war room, a meeting room, a wardrobe, and a gallery. Vino says, is there a basement? Uh, It doesn't look like it. Kitchen, there's a library, a war room, a meeting room, a bedroom and wardrobe, and a gallery. Um, I I think if everyone picks a room, we can visit all of those. Good idea. I'm going to go right to the library. Ah, knowledge. Let's go to the library. The library is a great idea. I love a good book. I love knowledge. Yay. To life. I didn't think you could read. Okay, on we go to the library. Uh, okay, so to get to the library, um, so here's how this is going to work. Mercus, you basically just have to pass a, a will check. Okay. Do it, Mercus. If you fail your will check, you um, will accidentally navigate everybody to uh, a random room. Hey, I got a six. You got a six. Okay, yeah. Ah. You successfully navigate your way to the library. Be careful. I want to see you return to your directorate in one piece. You know, it doesn't sound like you mean that, but that's cool. Let's do it. She, her face looks hurt. <laughs> like you hurt her feelings a little bit. Gi- this giant, powerful lady. Don't do that. Um, and as they walk forward, um, Beta whispers to Marcus, do you think she liked me? I know I didn't say anything. I got a little nervous, but do you think she liked me? I don't know anything about these romantic feelings. <laughs> Ah, Marcus is <laughs> just could, a um, kid. <laughs> uh, you know, you could roll uh, will or reason to see if you could get a read on on uh, what she thought of you. <laughs> uh, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> sure, I will. What do you think? A will? They're both the same value. It doesn't matter. Whoa, <laughs> twelve. <laughs> uh, Taylor, what did the Onvader think about uh, Beta Combat upon first encounter? Yeah, so you could tell when you first met her that she was, like, she was telling the truth. She was really hoping that somebody from the co would show up. Uh, and the last people to show up, it turns out, were from the company. She was genuinely happy to see you uh, and is a little surprised at everyone's attitude, but seemed genuine. <sighs> And that makes Beta's heart flutter a little bit. (laughs) 
So you successfully navigate your way through the shifting doorways and hallways of the estate. Um, and you're sort of like ducking in and out of these opening and closing doors and walking down these hallways as they're reconfiguring themselves and shifting diagonally and up and down until finally Mercus uh, successfully takes you through this this set of like last minute lefts and rights and ducking in and around all of these things and you get to the library. There are a lot of bodies in the library, um, including a bunch on a big, long, sturdy, finished wood table. It's like a slightly nicer version of what you saw in the in the den. There are all kinds of shelves um, on the left and right side of this long, tall, rectangular building. There are countless books. Uh, a bunch of them remain on the shelves, but many have been toppled onto the ground, opened, ripped apart as though they might like hide some secret. Uh, on the far end of the room, you can see a ransacked writing desk. Um, could Mercus, could you please roll a d6? Mm-hmm. This will determine whether or not there are any aggressors left over oh, in this man. room. Here we go. Uh, and and it's just Shit. just to be clear, I want to let you know what your options are or what what the results are going to be. Um, the higher up you go, the less likely it will be that you encounter people uh, because it's just harder to get higher up. And the library is a relatively low room. So if you roll high, there's going to be someone in here. If you roll low, there's no one here. We got a four. OK, so you rolled high. Four, five, six. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, as you are taking in uh, the, uh, as you are taking in the vista of the library and looking at just the wreckage and all of these bodies, um, from the other side of the writing desk emerges suddenly this like tall, sort of gangly human humanoid-looking figure, uh, covered in a kind of leather armor, um, and it's holding a large machete in one hand, um, and it starts running towards you, um, and. Uh, uh, it's like it's hard to tell. It's got like a thick sort of like strange accent, but it sounds like uh, it's shouting about treasure and spoils um, and uh, doesn't doesn't seem happy uh, that you are here trying to get things from the invaders estate. Everybody roll initiative real quick. Uh, just roll your movement dice and tell me what the result is. Looks I like Mercus got a five. Mercus got nine. Mercus got a five. Beta got a beta got a five. Mercus got a five. Remy got a nine. Oh, oh no, Venus got a one. Oh no. Oh. Rip Venus, rip Venus. <laughs> Venus. Venus is looking probably, at the book. He's probably not even aware that this person's running at them. Yeah. Probably the most powerful of he's, us all. He's, he's reading an, another note that just like popped into his, his hand. That's like, yeah, don't yeah. look at this note. <laughs> yeah, I definitely believe that Venus is unstuck in time. This is my headcanon. <laughs> Venus is just like existing in multiple different times simultaneously. <laughs> A gentleman doesn't tell. (laughs) (laughs) Whether or not they're stuck in time. Remy, you act first. Um, There's a like tall, gangly humanoid figure in leather armor that is just advancing on the party and shouting about uh, treasure and goods and saying basically like, you know, you look like company stooges. Get ready to get fucked. And they're holding a machete? Holding a machete, yeah. In uh, which hand? Uh, In their right hand. Great. Uh, so I think the first thing uh, Remy does is take a free. He takes a free action uh, to say, "Hey, friend, uh, how, how's it going? Do, uh, do you do you really want to advance on us? It's like what? It's four versus one. If you want to fight, I took out six void miners two hours ago. I can take on you." Remy looks at this guy after asking him like, "What's going on?" 
he's still advancing. So I guess Remy picks up some like debris on the ground. I don't know. Is there like a, a rock? Yeah, there's a candle holder with like a sort of crushed candle right by your foot. All right. Uh, yeah. So Remy picks up the, the candle and says, suit yourself. And I will burn. I'll burn what? Like four. I'll burn three grit and use charge, which is it's not a spell. Not really, because it has to do with nanites. But you burn a certain number of grit. Uh, minimum one, your nanites transfer a rush of bioelectric energy into any object and launch it from your hands. Roll to attack using D-combat plus the number of grit you burned. If you hit, the object explodes and deals damage equal to D6 plus the grit plus your level. You must have a thing in hand that is at least pebble size, card size, each time you use charge. Um, and uh, they dodge normally just with a move check? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's just... Sure. Yeah, roll it up. Okay. Oh, no. Okay, yeah, he can't win. <laughs> You you rolled a thirteen. <laughs> he rolled a one. Oh, oh snap! Um, so it does it does it doesn't do that much damage. It does. Oh uh, no! You kill him. You whatever. Ha- like this is bad for him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, you tell me what happens. Yeah. So Remy uh, is just sort of shrugs, picks up this candle. It lo- he's not even th- throwing it really. He sort of like sticks out his hand like um, if, if anyone's familiar with Dragon Ball Z, just like shooting an energy, just like sticking out his hand. And this thing just, this this like half candle just flies out of it, uh, I guess directly at this person's heart. Uh, and then like goes into the flesh and then explodes like a uh, bullet. Yeah. And there's just a rain of uh, gross, just like flesh and, um, and leather armor. And this person falls to the ground uh, and the, the library is now calm again. There's no, no more extremely tall, lanky shouting man. Oh, my first job with you guys is already pretty thrilling. Captain's log. Somebody died already. That wasn't us. Make sure that you write that part down. That guy exploded himself. No, I exploded him. That was me. I want I want credit for that one. Um Mike, what'd you say his name was? Karen? <laughs> hey oh. Beta uh quickly moving on from from seeing Remy explode a guy, uh, rushes over to the books to see if she uh, sees anything interesting. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds. Like, do you, I mean, yeah, you, you want to pick, pick one up? Yeah, I want to pick one up. Yeah, it's like uh, the life and times of Professor Zizzlebith Nibblebot. Uh, and it's just it's got like what edition uh, yeah, is it what edition uh it's the it's the fifth it's the well so it's hard it's the third volume uh-huh. but it's the it's the sixth reprinting oh. um and oh. in in the third and the fifth reprintings they added some new front matter wow mm. and that was a small print so this is it pretty a, rare yeah this is pretty yeah. rare book and and beta does know that maybe acquisitions would be interested in this edition uh, otherwise yeah maybe this belongs in your personal your personal collection yeah beta adds it to her bag <laughs> uh yeah there are a bunch of other books around uh, they're all kind of a similar thing it's like autobiographies and memoirs of accomplished people uh, there are some books about military strategy uh, there are some books about meeting people and uh, about architecture and like all kinds of stuff some books of poetry Binos begins pulling all the books like um, they are little triggers to trap doors um, to see if that to see if that happens so he pulls all of the books out from all the library uh, so yeah the see. shelves are now after about 10 yeah. minutes the shelves are bare <laughs> uh, Mercus walks over to the the writing desk 
And, uh, uh, yeah, there's just a bunch of papers. There's a there's a quite a large pen uh, that um, is sort of like shoved into the desk, like someone stabbed it into the desk. Oh. And uh, Marcus tries to pull it out from the, from uh, the desk. Yeah, after a couple seconds, you get it. It's a real big pen. Oh. Is it like <laughs> as big as his head? <laughs> probably. Uh, yeah, it's like it's like arm sized. Do you think Algar would like this? Yeah, oh. probably. That's a good idea. That's it. That's- <laughs> Wow, you are you are so good at understanding people. I can already tell, Marcus. I wish I had that. Uh, so what is clear at this point is that there's definitely no weird vase object in this room. Yeah, uh, I think Remy walks over to the guy he killed and, you know, just looks at him and is like, Ugh. does he see anything strange? Like, like, is there any sign that this person was like warped? By uh, the... No, def- definitely just a bandit who was here trying uh, okay. late in the process to get whatever he could. Okay, uh, Remy takes his machete. Yeah, you have a machete. Well, team, should we move on from this room? It doesn't look like anything in here. Yes, I've took yes. A, I've took a few of more interesting looking books and put them in my uh, rucksack. Sure. Yeah, you have a you have a couple books. Um, we can. Um, I'll roll on a table later to figure out what weird books you got. Okay. Can you also tell me what the weird binding is, like human skin or? Oh, sure. Right. Right. I will. I will also roll on a table for yeah the bookmaking technique. Yay! Oh. Uh, <laughs> Remy notices and says, "Oh, you like skin too?" <laughs> oh no! Ew. Just Ew. some some of the better books use it. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, should we get out of here? We've got a kitchen, we've got a war room, a meeting room, and a gallery still. Well, fuck it. Whatever's, uh, let's go to the, let's go to the war room. Yes. I wonder if there are more dead people there. Maybe she has some trophies in there. Oh, hell yeah. Got a fix. Expert navigation. Love to see it. Mercus, you successfully navigate everyone using the pendant projection map of the estate to the war room. Um, the war room is uh, smaller than the previous rooms that you've been in. Uh, it's kind of like a study almost. It's darker than the other rooms that you've seen. The interior of it is like a dark kind of blue. And there's a large tilted, almost like draftsman table um, at the far end. There is a number of um, ripped maps that are on some of the walls and you can see that there are a number of flat file drawers. The thicket of bodies in here is uh, or the density of bodies in here is pretty high and as you walk in um, you can actually hear one of them gasp for breath uh, and they like raise a hand up into the air you know as if sort of like asking for help and when you look down you can see that this is Mercus, a, f- a fellow Jelasti. Ah! Uh, this is a this is a, a lizard person um, who is dressed in like bandit gear. Can I ask, Mike, bandit gear? Are we thinking like Mad Max Fury Road bandit gear? Absolutely. Thousand okay. percent. Yeah. All nailed right. it. Yeah. Uh, I just yeah, want to make even, sure. Even though it's a hundred million years in the future, you know, like technology has mostly kind of disappeared or just become very strange. And so most inhabitants of the galaxy that you come across live a kind of provincial existence. And so to them, armor is essentially tannery. You know, they have it's like leather and whatever like metal stuff they sort of salvaged from that giant crashed spaceship they found that one time. Mercus sees this this uh, fellow Jalassi reaching out to him and he unfurls a left ear flap and reaches a hand out and just says, Cousin? 
Cousin? Um, and the Gelasti looks at you, uh, Mercus, and says, What are you here to liberate, cousin? We're looking for something. We don't know what. Is there anything interesting in this room? The Gelasti sort of like coughs a little bit and like spits up some blood, tilts their head up and looks around and says, um, I came and fought through so much. And it and like maybe like loses consciousness for a second and says, I tried to get to the gallery. I couldn't make it again, like coughs and sort of like spasms a little bit, oh. coughs up a little bit of blood. The gallery? Uh, this Gelasti looks real pale. Uh, they're yeah, they're not going to make it much longer. And Marcus like puts a hand on their chest and says, I wish you peace, cousin. What do they say in The Last of Us 2? May your survival be long. Remy cheers is with the foot and says, Cheers, brother! <laughs> Remy's now Hulk Hogan. <laughs> do you still want to look around in this room, everybody? No, I'm good. Uh, the Gelasti <laughs> kind of expires. Like The Gelasti know. died for us to know that we have to go to the gallery. <laughs> Captain Slog, I saw his cousin die. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, uh, Marcus, I didn't help you out there, but I'm kind of, I don't know what we're going to get into. And, you know, I swore to protect my co-fleeters. I can't, I, I can't, I can't heal anyone really. And, and she trails off and is like, let's head to the gallery. <laughs> and Marcus is just more um, mucusy than usual. <laughs> Just all over his, <laughs> all over his body. <laughs> Is he leaving a slime trail? Yeah, like a snail. But it's a sad trail because yeah. he's sad. It's a sad trail. All right. <laughs> so we try to navigate to the gallery. Yeah, you navigate from uh, the war room to the gallery. Uh, there's less sort of like up and down in this one. It's like there's a lot of side to side and just like waiting for rooms to pass and like watching these portals open and, uh, you know, it's the kitchen, uh, watching these portals open and it's the meeting room. And then finally, like the right hallway comes, you walk down the hallway and at the end of it, uh, you run into the gallery. The first thing that you notice upon arrival at the gallery is that you are deposited into this like small hallway that's very thick with bodies. There are so many like dead bandits and emissaries here that it's hard to see the floor. In a few spots, they're like piled on top of one another. So this was a very popular destination. As you come into this hallway, you know, you sort of turn and the gallery is to the right. And you turn to the right and you can see this is also where... That giant tree that you saw grows through a part of the building. So you know now that you're in sort of the middle top part of the large spire on the left-hand side of the estate. And you can see that there's a tree growing sort of through a permanently opened gap 
in the otherwise always moving building. The tree comes diagonally into the hallway, uh, like through an opening in, in the building and then goes out through the ceiling. And you can see that like the panels of the estate are clacking and shuddering against it as they're like trying to move and trying to reconfigure, but they can't uh, because the tree is stopping things from repositioning. And it has these deep marks in it from decades, if not a century, like who knows of growing up and through and against the mechanism of this house. If you get closer and you like walk towards uh, where the tree is and where the gallery would be, you can actually see like through the small slits in the panels um, and like as they move back and forth trying to rearrange themselves, you can get a look into the gallery um, and you can see that it is in fact just full of stuff, full of like shiny colorful undisturbed things there's paintings there's sculptures tiny statues glass cases with a lot of small knickknacks um it's all just sort of like undisturbed on display well lit and in the distance at the far end of the room you can see on a pedestal this thing that's kind of like it's hard to sort of figure out what it is it looks kind of like very intricately colorfully ribboned hand-blown glass in uh, who's up front is like who's looking at first i think mercus is in front because he's guiding everybody navigating yeah so like mercus you see this thing that yeah it looks like a very colorful ribboned hand-blown glass that like in one moment is the shape of like a tall skinny vase with a lot of fluting and then the next minute it becomes uh, like sort of the shape of an apple and then a minute after that it's like a small statue of a skinny dog but it's a cubist so it's like a dog from two different perspectives um, and then after that it looks like you wouldn't know this this, but it looks like an old school camera. It looks like what a Minolta would look like to us. This is the this is definitely the thing that Algar described. You you would have a hard time describing what it is, but you know it exactly when you see it. And it's in this room, but you can't get into this room because a tree is stopping it from moving and stopping its porthole doors from opening and closing. Hmm. Looks like we found it. I hate looking at it. <laughs> it is it is like weird and a little uncomfortable. Hmm. You can also see uh, as you're looking around uh, the surroundings that one of the walls to the left of the um, to the left of the gallery is kind of like of a part with the gallery. And it's it's also not moving. It appears like it is also stuck uh, that because these tiles can't rearrange themselves, these other tiles have nowhere to go. What is in the wall at that point is like a small kind of window. And if you're to look out the window, you would see you could see that the tree actually like extends down and you can see that it grows into the top of a kind of attachment uh, to the side of the estate. Um, that Mercus, if you were to look at your map, that location, that room that's attached to the side of the estate is not on the map. It's not there. Mm. Uh, so it, it would appear as though there's a location on the lowest level to the left side of the estate that the tree is growing out of that is, you know, a bit of a mystery. The other thing that you see is that there are also, like up here, uh, the density of bodies at that location is very high. That, like, a lot of people wanted to get into whatever that was. I think I would like to 
find a clue. Use my class power to find a clue. Find that clue. So yeah. So uh, tell yeah. Tell me. Tell me what this does, and tell me how it works. Peers, as a class power, can find a clue. Meaning, once per session, they uh, can find something genuinely useful plot-wise. You can find a clue toward whatever plot you want, but you should make your choice clear to the GM. The clue is specific. You don't necessarily understand the bigger picture, but you know what you need to do next. So uh, how this would look, I think, is um, so Beta has been around for a really long time. She's been in many situations, and I think she's going to just take a moment and really reflect She's going to think and she and she's going to reflect upon what it is the crew should do next. Yes. This tree is ancient. This tree is very, very old. It's a weird kind of old. It would be very, very difficult to destroy from where you're standing. It's just very sturdy, very thick, almost petrified and... You know from having walked around a lot and seen all of the commotion that happened that the estate itself is also extremely sturdy and that it has withstood a lot of action and has not been destroyed by all of the carnage that's happened within it. You should go to the root of the tree and see if you can figure out what's going on there. Maybe that will provide uh, information about what comes next. Friends? Can I call you friends? Is that... Am I moving on too quickly? Oh my gosh, Beta, what are you doing? Friends? Yes, you're yes, my friends. Yes. Okay. Oh well. You guys are great. Um, friends, we should go to the base of the tree and we there's no way we're gonna we're gonna be able to destroy this tree and get that, that room to move. I've seen quite a few tree in my time and my travels. We gotta get down there. Okay. Okay. Sounds good to me. So do we know how to get to where the base of the tree is, like where the room is? I think you could tell from where you are currently looking that it's somewhere off of the den. So, you know, now that you've been navigating the house a little bit, I think you might be able to sort of like figure it out once you're closer. Uh, So I would just I would head to the den would be my advice. Looks like we need to retrace our steps. Perfect. Head back to the den. And again, yeah, since you're retracing your steps, I'm just going to give it to you. Like you make your way down. Um, you go through all of these opening and closing portals and shifting, uh, shifting hallways and rooms. Um, you pass through the kitchen uh, room that you haven't been in yet. Uh, it's beautiful. It's huge. It's very well appointed. There's a lot of dead people there. Ah. Um, it's a sh- it's a shame. There's so many dead people in this uh, beautiful uh, architecture. But, uh, you know, I guess that's what happens when you are a commandant for 600 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. You get back out into the den. The Onvader is not here. Uh, She's off, you know, doing who knows what uh, somewhere else in the estate. But knowing that it's not moving, you can actually get to this weird, like, not-on-the-map room pretty easily. It's it's just off the den. It's in a portion of the room where, like, now that you look, having been here for a little while, like, there actually, there were a lot of people who were trying to get in here. Uh, this was this was a popular destination that you just sort of, like, maybe looked past when you got in because you, you hadn't gotten the lay of the land yet. 
getting into this room, even though it's stationary, is made harder, um, not easier, uh, by the tree, which is sort of like locking it in place. And this is because the openings which lead to it are smaller, and they move by quicker than the other rooms. So there isn't there isn't one like large door that opens to Envader sized and then gets smaller over time. There are just these like little gaps uh, that you have to sort of dart through in order to get into it. But you can see if you focus really hard and you look, there's this dull purple light coming from uh, where you think this room would be. And every once in a while, there's like a little sort of like opening that you can dive through. Um, so all I would say is that everybody who wants to get through, um, just uh, pass a move check. Roll your movement and get a six or higher. Okay. Please? Yes. Made it. Yikes. Oh, no. Uh, Mercus got a six. I got a one. Beta's about to be go through the garbage disposal. Rip Beta. <laughs> Rip. We hardly knew her. Oh, no. We know. Very close. Very close. Do you have a note in your pocket? No, I'm just happy to see you. <laughs> <laughs> so Mercus and Remy get through without a problem. They wait uh, for the opening to get the right size and just kind of dive right through. Venus is like rocking back and forth on his feet and trying to time it right and jumps through uh, at like like slightly too late. Um, Venus, uh, just take two damage from being clipped by the plates of the estate uh, oh. which are very sturdy yes. um and you know like i think maybe the like the end of your robe gets sheared off a little bit yeah oh. or maybe you lose a flip-flop i don't know is venus the kind of guy that wears flip-flops yes big jangly ones <laughs> <laughs> remy's like yo you, you good you need anything to eat i got and just offers him a hand <laughs> no i'm okay i know you're i know you i know you're weird bro you can't time travel without being fucked up yeah, I don't eat people. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, fair. Good, yeah, good. Hmm. Um, no beta, beta, what objects do you have on you? Like, what are you carrying? I have, uh, so far, I have a book. I have a long sword. I have a fragmentation grenade. And I also have a little pill packet with some pills in it. You rolled you rolled a one, which means is an automatic failure. Yep. Um. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you are going to take 2d4 damage. Okay. Um, you just, you time this really poorly. Oh. Um, I think maybe you just like got in your own head about it uh, and like tried to time it really well um, and just sort of like overthought it. And you almost get like chomped in half by the estate as it closes on you. You are saved from being eaten uh, by the sturdy construction of your company given backpack um, which is uh, like thick enough uh, that it you know the mechanism of the estate kind of like realizes that there's some sort of resistance and at the last moment before it chomps you in half uh, relents um, but what happens is your sword gets uh, bent um, oh, no. And it, before you can use it again to its full effect, we'll need to be repaired back on Spindle. Oh. Now this really hurts Beta because Beta, I mean, it's actually a a uh, personality trait, 
trait of Shuta is that they love swords and they're obsessed with swords. Um, so this really hurts her and it physically hurts her too as she takes five damage. She kind of bounces back and is like, ah, ow, my sword. <laughs> <laughs> what hurt more, the pain or the sword? Definitely the sword. Uh, Remy's like, you want this machete? And offers her the machete. No. <laughs> okay. It's a tiny baby sword. That's not a sword. <laughs> Very curious about the shoot the taxonomy of what counts as a sword. <laughs> there's I think a machete would be a sword to a shoot up, but yeah, that's there fine. are strict <laughs> cutoffs on what is a sword. So, I mean, Beta would be very interested in the Onvader's sword uh, if you were to ever encounter it again. I would guess. Oh yes, I, she was quite large, <laughs> quite 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 large and ornate. Um, okay, so you're all inside this room, this secret room now. You sort of, some of you deftly scramble and some of you, um, you know, ba- barely survive the transition into uh, this like dimly lit squat rectangle of a room and you enter at its lower left-hand corner. It's a dull purple. It's dull, like dimly lit, uh, but and it's dark and kind of moody. There's a few bodies on the floor. Not many people made it in here. And it appears as though the ones that did, uh, like, have basically just killed each other. Uh, So there were, like, some duel situations where, you know, neither of the people who made it in here made it out alive. And these people have been here for a while. So, like, none of these bodies are, these are not fresh bodies. There's, like, a low, almost kind of, like, electrical hum. um, And every once in a while you can hear a sort of, like, zapping sound. Uh, The floor is really uneven. And looking down you can see that it's because of the tree roots which are spread out along it um, and they lead to the bottom of the tree that you saw from above it's uh, to your it's across the room all the way to your right in what you might call the top right corner of this room if you are in the bottom left it's mostly obscured by a kind of partition it looks like it's sort of like in its in a small like booth or its own like little room, like a bay of some kind. You know, as you're in here and your eyes are adjusting to the darkness and you get a little bit more detail about what's going on, um, you can see that that little booth, there's like a shimmering uh, transparent partition in front of it, um, a kind of like barrier. And it's when you all realize that this is a prison. Uh, This is a place where the Onvader keeps people, people trophies. Oh. And you can tell, actually, that there are six cells in here. There's three in front of you, and there's three, uh, you know, ostensibly, although you can't, though you aren't looking at them, um, directly to your right. Uh, The tree occupies one of them. The one that's directly across from you is empty. There's no one in it. Um, Each is the source of its own sort of, like, dark purple light. Uh, There's, like, some sort of glow emanating from some sort of technology or something that's in each of these tiny rooms. In the middle of the wall that's across from you, you see, like, a rustling, a sort of, like, rustle, uh, like, movement of a small body. And uh, you see uh, something, a, a person, approach the shimmering, transparent border. And it would appear to be a, a Harajun. Uh, this is like a all-white ape-like creature uh, with a long sort of snout uh, that has a permanent grin. Kind of looks like its face. Kind of looks a little bit like a corgi. You know how corgis are always smiling. Um, so this is a this is a Harajun, and they are wearing a tuxedo, uh, like they're on their way to a very fancy dinner party. 
Um, all of you would be very familiar with Harajun. They are a sapient that does a lot of work with the company. Uh, they are actually considered by the company to be good luck. This Harajun in a tuxedo hears you enter the room as you stumble through, hears a sword get crushed, and runs to the transparent partition. Oh my god, you guys gotta get me out of here. Come on. Hey, hey, uh, look, I can't bang on this thing. It doesn't make any noise, but uh, can, can you hear me? Yeah, how'd you get in there? What the fuck, dude? Uh, well, uh, well um, I was at a party. Uh, the last thing I remember, I was at a party, and then four days ago, I, I woke up in here, and, uh, you know, there were some fighting sounds. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure what's going on. I got some rough ideas, but uh, listen, <laughs> one thing I know is there's no food or water in here. Uh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Are you still Fleeters? Are you from the co? Yes. Why, yes, we are. <laughs> the fleas in my pants. <laughs> Please get me out of here. Um, and he's gesturing uh, to a part of the room that you kind of can't see. He's like pointing at something uh, that's uh, that's to your right, to his left, like as if to indicate that the way to get him out is some somewhere over there. I, I think it's over there. I, but listen, I, I don't know. I, I've never been outside of this thing, but I think it's over there. You, you, you'll figure it out. You can do it. Wait a minute. Who are you? Oh, uh, uh, my name's Oat. Oat? Doesn't matter who he is, he's in trouble. Seems like we should get him out of there. Okay, Oat. And Mercus uh, looks for something on the right of the room. Yeah, if you walk in and, and go right, uh, okay, so there's a lot we have to, there's a lot to cover in this small span. As you walk down the center of the, the prison, you finally get a full view of what's going on here. Uh, so there are, in fact, six cells. There's the empty one that was across from where you entered. There's the one that Oat is in. And then next to Oat is the one that the tree is in. Across from them, there are three other cells that contain three other things. The closest to you, to the entrance, there is a kind of hovering black metal crystal. Oh. Uh, also behind a shimmering gate with this glowing purple light coming out from the floor. Hard to tell what it is, uh, but it's definitely big, looks metal, crystal. Next to that is um, Venus. Yes. You would def you would definitely know what this is. Beta, since you are a xenobiologist, I'm going to guess that there's like a 80 percent chance that you would know what this is. Okay. Oat sees Venus like kind of backing up, uh, and he says, like not having turned around yet, uh, and he says, "Uh, look, these force fields. I, I think they're pretty strong, but uh, old fella, you might want to turn around." Uh, so Venus turns around. And you see an Illithnari, which is a slightly larger than human-sized sapient that has what looks like a kind of octopus for a head. It's got human appendages, but it also has many tentacles. Some of those tentacles are bionic. Um, they are a serveroid. They are um, a kind of technology that is extremely advanced and, as far as you all know, is actually from the future. Some of its tentacles are psionic, uh, so they exist only through the sheer will of uh, the Illithnari brain. It's floating. It's motionless. It would appear as though, much like the Black Crystal, uh, there's something about this unit that it's in that, like, keeps it sedated, stops it from moving. It's definitely not awake. Um, but it's still kind of like moving. Um, and is this a Cthulian being? 
This is a, an Illith Nari is in fact, yes, a Cthulicate entity. Cthulicate. These are deeply feared beings. Their goal, sort of like the inverse of what Beta Combat is after, is to learn as much as they possibly can. The way that they do that is by just consuming beings. They are very much on the eat your brain and gain your knowledge uh, scale <laughs> of, of learning. One of the other notable things about it as a Cthulhuicate entity is that some of its many appendages, it's very hard to describe. It's, you know, as hard to describe as it is to look at. Like, it's almost like slices of its tentacles and its appendages and some of its dress are coming in and out of existence. That there are these bits of it that aren't visually or visibly attached to it that come in and out of being. Um, and this is because, again, like Venus and um, Beta, you would know this, that they are an extra dimensional being. So there are bits, bits of the, this uh, Illith Nari that are like dipping into our dimension and then dipping back out. And you can only see certain parts of it. Uh, but its eyes are dark um, and it doesn't appear to notice you, doesn't make any movements towards you, would appear to just be a prisoner. Yeah, she hasn't moved in like four days. And um, I, that's the only good news I got down here. And I hate to break you out of your uh, reverie of terror, which I recognize from my first day, but uh, her neighbors ain't that great either. And if you look uh, to the left, you also see a sort of short but skinny humanoid figure, about a meter and a half tall, very dull skin. You know, you can't tell if it's the light or what. It's like gray or blue or purple, a totally hairless humanoid figure wearing a skin tight, disturbingly matte black suit. Uh, that covers everything from its neck down. And I think, Combat, you might be the only one that knows that this is a Void Elf. Void Elves are, their reputation is that they are just like murderous hedonists. They are incredibly smart. They come from a post-scarcity society and they're immortal. Um, so for them, things like global war are entertainment. Uh, these are things that are interesting to them and things that they seek to foment uh, because it makes their lives more interesting. The thing to the right, unless someone rolls some dice at it, you don't know what it is from looking at it. Beta is just overwhelmed by what she's looking at. She can't even believe that she's in such a small space. There are uh, sapiens that she's only ever read about. Remy's and Marcus, uh, go ahead. I was going to say, Remy uh, notices this and notices, like, Beta's, like, surprise and shock and awe and is, is looking, just looking around to see if there's any other features of the room. Like, there's any, like, an obvious, like, power button or, like, uh, gate control for the cells or whatever. Yeah, so between, on the wall, between the cell that the tree is in and the cell that the Void Elf is in, and the Void Elf is similar to the Illith Nari, it's non-responsive. On the wall between those two cells in the very middle of the room, um, you see a panel, a glow, a panel of glowing light. This is where the sparking sound is coming from. Uh, there are some sparks coming out of it every once in a while. Uh, and if you approach, you can see it's because there's a big knife that's been shoved into it. Um, and underneath it, uh, there is uh, like a prawn person, uh, sort of like a like a big shrimp, uh, like shrimp sapient uh, that's wearing like a big cowboy hat. Um, and uh, it looks like it has an air, like an arrow through its chest. Um, and, you know, 
something happened here. Uh, you know, this this being, uh, this sapient was trying to use this panel, but was stopped. Is the panel still usable? Um, the panel is the panel is on. It is definitely damaged. It's got a bunch of text on it that uh, I don't think any of you can read. Mm. Um, Do you see it? I can tell by your face that you see something. No, I don't see what anything. I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, no, come on. What? I don't even see can you, bro. What are you? What's your deal? Me? What's my deal? I know what you are. What's your deal? <laughs> uh, my deal is, uh, look, I, I'm just a guy. Um, uh, I don't like you. You know, I, I was at a party. You You're don't probably have to fight me. Reason. Come on, please. That's fine. Well, look, I mean, you know, you work for the co, right? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. So this, I've, I've been to spin. Listen, I've been to spin. I, I, I know some people there. Take me back with you. I, like, take me back with you and I'll, I'll introduce you to some friends of mine. Okay. Yeah. Drinks sure, on me. I got a. I got. I got a tab. I got a tab down in the bays at this place. You're gonna love. Uh, you know, we'll get some kelp on me. Come on. Uh, can Mercus use insight? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is burning one grit. Uh, make a reaction check, and uh, if successful, I have a minor epiphany, and that includes detecting if this person is lying. Sure. Yeah. We're gonna burn one grit and do a. Oh, not reaction. Reason. I'm sorry. So much shadow run. It's funny. Yeah, we're stuck in. Sh- yeah, I, I do that too all the time. <laughs> REA, baby. Uh, you never forget your first love. Never oh, do. Oh, got a 12. <laughs> Holy Whoa. shit. You, you fucking nailed it. I'm rolling great. Um, <laughs> um, not only are you absolutely sure that everything Oat has said up until this point is 100% truthful, he also seems like a great guy. <laughs> Well, I have a really good feeling about this oat. We should help yes! him. Yes! Yes! <laughs> What's your name? What's your name? I'm Mercus. Mercus gets it. Marcus, come on. Now, look. <laughs> I know we just met, but I'm locked in here without any food or water. I don't think anyone's coming with any food or water. And as you can see, that at least the people I can see that I'm locked in with, they're not the kind of people I want to be around all the time. So please, please help me out. I saw you see something at the end of this hallway. Please tell me it's a box with a keyhole in it. <laughs> uh, it's not quite a keyhole. Oh, not quite a Somebody keyhole, tried but something keyhole-ish. One. Does anyone have anything that can navigate this? I mean, Remy walks up to the box and looks at it again. There's like a bunch of uh, menu items and options. Remy, there are. Remy removes the knife from the box. What kind of tech is it? Well, hold on. If Mer- Remy removes the knife from the box. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Remy! <laughs> uh, Taylor, that feels right, right? Yeah, dog. Fuck crap. Yeah, okay. Um, so... Remy, you as you reach up and you take the knife out of the box, uh, there's like a big spark that flies, uh, you know, it's like makes a loud zapping sound and the box like blinks. There's a bunch of text that shows up on it that sort of like scrolls really quick and really fast. Um, it looks kind of like, I don't know, like if you ever booted your computer up in single user mode where it's like you like all you see is the terminal and it just scrolls by really yeah. quick and you're like, oh, no, I did something wrong. <laughs> No, I'm usually like, oh, that's a good sign, because if it's booting in that mode, it's like I fucked something up beforehand. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so you're looking at, you're basically looking at, like, the OS rebooting or whatever, and then uh, it blinks out and doesn't blink back on. You hear that electrical hum that has pervaded the room uh, the entire time you've been here. It shuts off. Um, And 
you can see the shimmering gate that uh, is in front of every cell disappears all at the same time, all simultaneously. Uh, and then a bunch of things happen. <laughs> Goodness. Oat's reaction is going to be one of very confused joy and abject terror. Uh, yeah. And uh, he he steps up, uh, he grabs his jacket, like grabs his jacket off the back of like a chair that was in his cell and like puts it over his back and he's like, uh, I think this is one of those unintended consequences I've heard about in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Getting real like Groucho Marx vibes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> um, let's go one at a time oh, here. Oh boy. Oat's cell opens. Uh, there's no longer a barrier in Oat's cell and he can leave. The tree's cell opens. And what you now notice, now that they're starting to turn off, is that there was no dull purple light coming from Oat's cell. Uh, that it was actually dark except for the, the dim light of the shimmering, uh, the shimmering barrier. And you can see now that the light in the tree's cell turns off uh, after the barrier disappears and the tree just starts to grow. It grows and grows and grows. It's like it's growing, a, you know, a hundred years in the span of a couple seconds and it rips apart a portion of the ceiling. It tears down some parts of the wall, which is like incredible because, you know, as far as you've seen, this estate has been very, very hard to injure or destroy in any way. And after a couple seconds of it just growing and growing, it slows you can hear the fibers of it kind of come to rest and then it's like it almost shrinks back into itself and it starts to get smaller and smaller and it starts to dry and become brittle until you can actually see the top of it, the tuft, the green part that you saw from the outside retreat through the opening in the ceiling that it's just made until it slowly becomes the head of an engine man. Um, of one of those tree people uh, that you met earlier today. Uh, you met that woman at the, the the desk. And you can see that this is, it becomes uh, like a, the form of a humanoid, of an engine, and then it shrinks and shrinks and just becomes sort of like a desiccated body um, of, you know, someone who has been here for long enough to become like a millennia tree. Wow. I um, hope this tree wasn't your banshee. Oh, no, that's me. <laughs> oh, that's good news. Okay, let's go. <laughs> the lights also turn off underneath the Void Elf, the Ilithnari, and the Black Crystal. The Void Elf comes to, and its eyes open, and it just disappears. Oh. In like, uh, there's no ornament about it. It just kind of like sucks into a tiny bead of light and is gone. As Beta sees that happen, she just, you see her, see her yell, what's the oldest thing you remember? <laughs> <laughs> the Illith Nari comes to and its eyes open and, you know, a few more of its tentacles come into three space from whatever other dimension they're currently occupying. And you can see from the dark folds of its cloak, it's wearing this bright red, like like blood-stained almost gown. It reaches in to inside it and pulls out this long object that looks like it looks like a bone. It looks like a it looks like a bone carved from onyx. And it sort of flicks its tentacle a little bit. The bone opens up 
up and doubles in size to a talon. And there's like a talon that's on the end of it. And it rears back and shoves its arm forward and uses this bone talon sword spear to just cut a hole in space. You can smell the ozone as it does this. It's like it's just burning through atmosphere. And you can see a a jagged black envelope just open in the middle of the room and the Ilithnari just calmly walks through it. And then it just knits back together and the Ilithnari is gone. Uh, Remy is is legitimately awed by this and is like, I want to learn how to do that. (laughs) Not that it's possible for him, but... (laughs) The barrier in front of the gray, the barrier in front of the black crystal goes down and its purple light turns off. Come on, a third disappearing bad guy. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Nothing happens. It just continues to spin pleasantly. Okay, well, I've seen enough here. It's time to get the fuck out. What do you guys say? Should we Uh grab the crystal? No. What? No. You mean in the other in the other room? Yeah. Okay, yeah. fine. Why not? But let's get the fuck out of this one. Oh, I was thinking about grabbing this crystal. Beta, uh, Beta's already walking towards the crystal. Beta, as you walk towards the crystal, it unfolds into a very strange looking, almost stone chair. And it starts talking to you. It starts inv- inviting you to get inside of it. Hey, uh, you. Get inside me. You want to go for a ride? <laughs> hey. Yeah, come on in. Beta whizzes over. Oh, well, very nice to meet you. What was, what's your name? Beta Combot feels... Uh, what, what pronoun should I use with Combot, Shannon? Uh, she. Okay. Uh, combot feels like her circuits, like there's a wave that kind of like goes through, like almost like someone's like transponding. Uh, and then it, it, it stops immediately. Uh, and you hear the voice again in your quote unquote head. I believe in your language, you would call me nearer the sun than is advisable. Nearer the sun than is advisable? Nearer the sun than is advisable. Um, Shannon, does remind me, does your character speak either high or late Tefnian? I speak late Tefnian. This oh. is a word in late Tefnian. Mm. Like nearer the sun than is advisable okay. um, is, a, is a phrase that has a single word in late Tefnian. So you might at this point suspect that this is like Tefnian technology of some kind. Ah, my friend. Huh, that, is, that sounds familiar to me. <laughs> Tell me. I a have blasted one... worn out rock. Sorry, I wasn't talking to you. Oh. Uh, so sorry to interrupt. Until your bones are dust. Again, sorry, I wasn't talking to you. Wow, you got a busy phone line here. Um, <laughs> I must ask, what's the what's the oldest thing you remember? The oldest thing I remember is a large gas giant coalescing around a star of pure carbon, what you would call diamond. <laughs> I think uh, Remy also speaks late Tefnian, so if this is in late Tefnian, then I guess he understands. But uh, yeah, I think it's it knows that you would speak uh, some version of of spin, and so would translate for you. Uh, so like everybody who's around, if they don't resist the kind of like uh, hypersonic communication that it's engaging in, would be able to hear what it's saying. Got it. I think it would just translate for you near the sun that is advisable because it would know that you would get it, as opposed to saying whatever late Tefnian, whatever that word would be. That is incredible. I I have to ask. My first host was a scientist warrior who was studying the coalescing of gas giants so that we could better understand how to attack a species we had recently come across. 
How did you end up here? I will atomize your children's children. Sorry, again, not talking to you. You got a lot going on, and I love that. I wish I had more going on. I only really talk to the people who are here and maybe one or two other people, though I try to meet everyone that I come across. You know that feeling? No. <laughs> um, Beta, you are talking to something that appears to be having 10 simultaneous experiences, and it is asking you to board it. Mm. Uh, yeah, Beta Beta it wants to get on board. Oh, does, she... does Beta get on board? Mm. <laughs> uh, while you're, you are being asked to board, a, a hole sort of, like a ripple runs across this thing and a hole sort of appears and like part of it turns liquid and the liquid sort of drops down and each drop becomes a step that you could easily just walk up like stairs and enter the gape in the back of this thing. Yes. Remy, this is definitely nanofluidics. Like, this is not the blood, but like, this is nanotechnology through and through. Um, maybe some of the most advanced that you've ever seen. Oh, Remy's very interested. Remy's like, uh-huh. Beta, you let me know if you get into nearer the sun than is advisable. So, uh, Beta, definitely, I mean, she's going to want to. She's seeing a lot going on, and there's, you know, as much as she knows, she's, you know, been in the company for a while, and she knows that she's supposed to, you know, fulfill her duty or whatever. Really, she's only there because she wants to experience everything, and she's curious about everything, and so she has this pull to go towards it, unless someone stops her. <laughs> I mean, Remy's also just like, oh, I know Beta. Uh, I, I like he also like wants to protect her because he thinks he knows better, even though he doesn't. But also he's like, oh, nanofluids. So, yes, yeah, population controls are mandatory. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, you you ascend these small steps and you settle into this weird, like almost throne. And it kind of starts to feel like it's hugging you. Like it's kind of like you're sinking into it the way that you sink into a very comfortable couch. And then it closes over on top of you. And it's kind of like being closed into a meditation chamber. It's very peaceful. It's very quiet and it feels very comfortable. It's very warm. Are you comfortable? Could you pass a will check, please? Sure. And I would like to remind you and introduce to the audience the idea that you can charge your rolls. Um, you Ooh. can spend uh, three grit to add three uh, to the result that you roll. You can spend six to add six, and you can spend nine to add nine. So please roll six or higher on a will check. And I will just repeat, please roll six or higher on a will check. <laughs> I rolled a 10. Oh, hell yes. You feel smarter than you have ever felt. Mm -hmm. You feel like you know the beginnings of the universe and that like given enough time, uh, it's just a matter of setting down to do the work to figure out uh, what happens next that like causality is very clear to you now and that really this is all a determinate game. You feel like there is no possible way that anybody in the world when you are in this state could see you as anything other than a, a smart and capable and powerful being. You feel powerful. You feel like there is no one who would dare stop you. Meanwhile, Mercus is scared and thinks that she's in danger and just starts, like, knocking on the outside of it. 
The blackness in front of you that you get um, when near the sun that is advisable, um, NTS uh, from this point forward, um, when NTS closes in front of you and it goes dark, that disappears now and you can kind of see through the HUD that closes down over you. It becomes uh, like slightly transparent um, and you can see all of your friends um, and you can see uh, this uh, Harajune ape that you've just picked up. You can see the room and you can see that there are reticles around all of the them. You can see their vital stats. You can see their heart rates. You can see their rough ages. You can see what languages they speak. And you feel uh, like yourself. You feel like you can just walk around. From the outside, everybody, you basically see Beta get subsumed by this weird armor. And now she kind of looks like uh, a small jet black version of Ed 209 from the Robocop movies. <laughs> <laughs> And like you can't see her face, but if she were to say something, you would hear like a slightly reverberant sort of electronic twinged version of her voice. Uh, She appears to be herself. Remy's like, yo, that's fucking cool. How do I how do I get one? Oh, Remy, you wouldn't believe how good I feel right now. Welcome inside near the sun that is advisable. Would you like water? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, Do you have anything um, metallic? (laughs) detecting a non-organic host yes as near the sun and beta are talking about what fluids will be produced from the surrounding atmosphere (laughs) and everybody's sort of just like watching one side of this conversation the void elf blinks back into existence in the room um, detected, and, and it is wearing a large sort of like mecha battle armor with lots of <laughs> guns and spines on the outside. Um, but instead of legs, it's kind of like a flying saucer and it's got a big helmet and the helmet has what looks like uh, night vision goggles on it. And it throws a frag grenade to your feet and it says, get fucked motherfuckers. And then disappears again. Oh, um, no. You all, you all have about three, seconds to figure out what to do with a frag grenade that was just thrown at your feet. Uh, Remy laughs and jumps on it. What? (laughs) Threat neutralized. Um, Yeah, I mean, if you jump on it, you're just going to take a 1d20 damage. Yeah, so Remy does have cloud which disperses part. He can't be destroyed, basically. What? Yeah. uh, Oh, that's right. You can, like, foam yourself, right? Yeah, so nanites disperse part of your body into cloud, preventing it from being destroyed by a massive impact and reconstituting most of your body afterward. Cloud gives you plus four to all rolls to have anything to do with severe damage, blah, 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 blah. In addition, cloud adds back two health to your body whenever you reach zero health, one time per combat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Important part. You cannot turn this power off. After it activates, you feel like retching for days. Oh, uh, I mean, this is assuming that fucking nearer to the sun doesn't do anything first. <laughs> I mean, you were the first one no, to speak. You, so, yeah. you neutralized yeah, it. Like, near the, no, the threat's been neutralized. Although uh, Oates does say, oh, no, not him. He's the only one that's demonstrated any good judgment at all. <laughs> so i would say just you know like you don't get a move roll um because Um, the the point the point is that you're not dodging it the other thing is uh i I should i should tell you uh remy's telos is is penance which is testing his limits and what he can do in service of getting better so this is this is exactly in the in the like Mm. vein of his telos he's just like yeah fuck it can i do this so so, uh roll just roll a d4 for me okay wow three you take two damage, but you also gain two grit. 
Uh, can I go over my maximum? No. All right, then it doesn't matter. Okay. I, <laughs> so, like, what is this look? Do you like you throw your body onto this thing? There's a yeah, huge explosion. Insta- yeah, instantly. And then and a cloud. Yeah, I mean, like, if it only does two damage, then no. Like, if it does two damage, Remy jumps on this grenade. Like, he's like, he's wearing like it looks like it's like a raggedy like cloth thing that look like kind of hangs like a suit but isn't. And so I guess it just like he jumps on this thing. It like. And there's an explosion, but there's like and there's debris that like sort of flies up under him, like like a vacuum cleaner sort of expelling itself backwards. Um, And then he gets up and it's just like, all right. Uh, And you see like a hole in his like suit, but like and maybe like a lot of flesh sort of starting to knit itself back together. uh, Like like all of this particulate matter in the room, like collecting and coalescing and just coming back into (laughs) turning back into your chest. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, you feel like shit. Yeah, but I think he's he. I think he feels really smug. Also, <laughs> Marcus's eyes um, are so wide because so many different things happened just now. Beta Combat is inside nearer the sun that is advisable. You have Oat, the Harajun, um, the tuxedo wearing Harajun. Uh, do you guys want to go back to the gallery? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Remy's like. Ugh. Hold on, give me a second. And just like, like tries to throw up, but can't. Incredible oh. move, Remy. Incredible move. I didn't wow. know you could do that. Beta, you knew that's exactly what was going to happen. Like you saw that coming and you were like, oh yeah, definitely. That makes sense. <laughs> uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, this, wait a minute. But... Wait, wait, where, where are we? Oh, oh, where is this? Oh, oh uh, we're, we're on, we're on a fucking, we're, uh, hold on. Where are we? We're on Rigamont B. A.K.A. Jam Jump. Uh, as Jam you jump. walk towards Why the gallery. I... Uh, wait, wait. But also, I think Remy's just like, yo, Beta, is that guy got some nanites for me? You got it? Can you bring me off a piece of that? Um, uh, would, would Beta know this? Nearer the sun, you would know that, like, you do not produce any of the blood. You are nanotechnology, but you are not a blooder or the, the product of, of the ducal blood. This has nothing for you. Um, you guys are walking on your way to the gallery. Mercus, I'm going to say that you've done it enough. You just know how to get there now. You don't have to roll for it. Yay. So if uh, if uh, you didn't come here to rescue me, uh, uh, why? what's going on? Why are all these dead bodies? And I'm kicking the hand of someone like laying on the stairs. Uh, or the, 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 the claw. I'm kicking the shrimp claw of one of the... <laughs> very large Whoa. shrimp and the, I'm like what the what why were these why were these guys here what the, what's going on well oh you got a lot to learn and basically it's all about this place that we're in where people are looting this person uh she's very large she's dying soon and she's sad about stealing things from other people in war so she's giving it away and also don't kick that shit that's good food wait wait who who's the, the big lady and vader i don't she probably stole you dude Wait, she's about to die? Yeah, soon. That doesn't make any sense. Well, she they only last for 200,000 days. We're coming up on that pretty quick. She called Wait, it her what farewell. What, uh, uh, by spin time, uh, what year is it? Wolfskin 784. Uh, all, well, I mean, he's covered in fur, but his he can't see the blood drains from his face, but his jaw goes slack, and Oat sort of slumps against the wall in the stairwell uh, and he just stops walking uh and he's just staring off into space you good buddy are yeah. you not what's wrong are you not in the time that you're supposed to be no i'm not the party i was at was 60 years ago oh we got a guy who can probably send you back right Venus? 
No, unfortunately, I can't. I can only bring myself back. No, oh, I tried. <laughs> Just notes and books and bags. I but can... maybe you could send a note back to someone for him. I have to. I have to secure the note with myself in a complicated way. Um, <laughs> I can tell anybody, any of your loved ones, anything you'd like, though. Oh, of course, That's a everybody. Good deal. I. Oh, my family would be dead. I hadn't thought about that until you just said it. I'm sorry. Oh, I, no. I hate to bear well, that hey, news. Hey, buddy, if you want, I can kill you and eat you. Let's focus you know, on getting out of here right now. Yeah, it's just an yes, offer. let's do that. Yes. So you guys uh, navigate through the estate with the now more morose um, Oat the Harajun, um, and you get your way up to the gallery, and yeah, sure enough, um, the tree is gone, and so the room is open. Doesn't seem like there's anybody who's jockeying uh, for this newly open space that, like, you know... Uh, by chance, that one guy that you uh, that you took out was the last living person in this room other than you and in this house other than you and the invader. I mean, like I said, it's just full of stuff. It's all kinds of things. How would you feel if we said this, that you can basically spend a reasonable am- a number of minutes just shoveling stuff into your bags? Yes. I would love that. And if someone rolls a D100, that's how many things you get. And between this game and the next one, I'll just figure out everything that you got. <laughs> yes. All right. So like, Someone who do wants, it. Yeah. Who wants to roll the D100? I have it. I have it ready to go. Do, do it. it go. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. Yes. Six, so you got 60 goodies. 60. Not my goodies. 69. Nice. No. Um <laughs> No. Uh. <laughs> so yeah, and it's all kinds of stuff. It's like cultural artifacts, it's art, it's technology, it's uh some just like random design goods, it's books, it's, you know, it's all sorts of stuff. It's not one class of thing. And so, you Yay. know, there's going to be a mo- a moment where you just are going to have to go through all this and see what it is. Mike, I don't know. I think it is one class of thing. And that is nice shit. Hey, goodies. And none of it, I just want to point out, I want to be clear here. None of this is craft work. None of this was made uh, by oppressed people. Uh, This was all made by rich shitheads and corporations from previous fallen societies. Oh, good. Mm. This was all, this is, yeah, the, Jeff Bezos uh, Beth- personally <laughs> made, made each and every one of these things. I think you mean Beth Jezos. Beth, <laughs> Beth Bezos. The, the, glo- the galactic tyrant. One of you also notices, uh, let's say that it is Venus. Yes. Uh, you remember on a small pedestal at the end of the room, yes. you can see uh, this thing. It's very hard to tell what it is. It's intricate, colorfully ribboned, hand-blown glass, vase, clock, goblet, keyboard, etc., etc., etc. Even though this, like your eyes tell your brain that it's changing constantly, it really only ever takes up the same amount of space, and it would fit easily in your backpack. All right, I take it, and I put it inside of my backpack. It feels weird to hold because you're looking at it, and it's changing shape. Right. It's moving, but you, but like... It's not moving in your hands, so like you're not really sure what's yeah. going on. But it is. It's almost easy like to pick those optical illusions that look like it's moving, but it's not. It's like um, that is yeah. that is exactly what. But it looks it's like. even yes. weirder because it's not just like a shifting of patterns. It's like literally changing form. But it's I'm always holding the pickle jar, but it's not a pickle it's jar. It's kind of like it's kind of like if a magic eye could be animated. <laughs> that hurts my brain to yes. think about. Yeah, Remy's just looking I at love it, it like. Remy's like, yo, bro, don't look at that. And it's just munching on some fingers. 
<laughs> so someone roll 1d20. This determines how many minutes this took you. Uh, I'll do it. <laughs> no way. No yeah. way. In one minute. <laughs> took one you one minute. minute. We're quick. Nice. You guys worked really Yay. quick. Yeah. Okay. You have the thing that you came for and a bunch more on top of that. What does Oat do while this is happening? Oat is actually, he's trying to pay attention to what's going on, but he's also kind of like looking at his hands and touching his knees. And he says, uh, look, I don't, I don't mean to be ungrateful or anything, but, uh, I'm not feeling so good. Uh, my knees hurt and my head hurts and my back hurts. And I just, this is hard to describe. I just knew inside of me that I would never listen to any new music again as long as I live. <laughs> oh. I, I think I'm getting old. And as he says, I think I'm getting old, you see a little hair come loose off the side of his snout and just sort of fall to the ground. I picture it like a like a feather, like like side to side, like yeah. landing lightly yeah, on a, a dead body. Yeah, just a little tough to food. Just like the way an yeah. old dog will get little bald patches. Oh, that's cute. Uh, Remy just walks up to him and shakes his hand and is like, buddy, the next few minutes are not going to be comfortable for you. A lot of ups <laughs> and downs today. Uh, do you guys want to leave? Yeah. We can <laughs> yeah. Go, well, out, go yes. out through the den. Don't you think we should say goodbye to the boss? You know, yeah. absolutely not. Get him oh, a to... so he can write. Yeah, just giving yeah. people as quasi not slip, just just trophies. I'm good. I'm good. All right. I jumped on a grenade. Well, I'm look. We'll still have <laughs> to I, look, pass. And and I think Remy reaches down and like uses his machete to chop off some more limbs oh. just for his uh, his like later feeding it's just never not upsetting yeah yeah but he's like look hey you guys it's either that or you you know we know uh, yeah. so you make your way back through the estate uh through the twisting labyrinth of clicking and clacking rooms you get back into the den and the onvader is there uh she's kind of like standing by at the table she looks like she's writing a letter she's got another quite large pen as you emerge uh, from the stairwell uh, that you're just walking down uh she stands up and she sort of like opens her arms again uh, as if in greeting she's about to say something and then oat says 60 years! 60 years! And then she says, Ah, the wages of sin is death. For chained beneath I rend these caverns when thou bringest food. And then Oat says, I howl my joy and my red eyes seek to behold thy face. And then they both say together, In, in vain, vain, these clouds roll to and fro and hide thee from, from my sight. My sight. As they are reciting the end of this, is this a poem? I don't know uh, this. Uh, yes, but like it's, it's it's not relevant. Okay, all right. And as they are both reciting this and like sharing this very strange moment, you smell uh, the smell of burning ozone. Um, <gasps> and directly behind the invader, just a black envelope rips open into the empty space and out of it emerges the Ilithnari prisoner. Oh no. And it tries to make a swipe uh, with one of its psionic tentacles and the invader, like she has eyes in the back of her head, just ducks, uh, <sighs> like no emotion on her face. Like she knew it was coming. She just like dips to the side and down and the Ilithnari completely misses. 
Remy takes a second to observe. Guess this is day 200,000. <laughs> Ooh! The rip uh, knits back up and disappears. You can see that the Illithnari looks mostly the same, is floating and is dipping in and out of three space as you saw it when it was, when it was in the prison. But it is now also wearing a, like, strange, complicated helmet that looks like it's made out of a brown kind of plastic, but almost biologic in nature. Like it's not manufactured. It is sizing up the onvader. Uh, so someone roll a d10. Nine. Nine. Okay. This represents how many minutes have passed again. Beta, as you are watching the scene unfold in the den, nearer the sun delivers a message to you in your ear um, about how it needs to divert resources uh, to deal with problems in other timelines. What? What are you talking um, about? <laughs> potentialities require service. What? Bandwidth limited. This reality deemed low priority. Your HUD dims and pops open, uh, like your, your shell sort of pops open, and the seat kind of like pushes you out of itself. <laughs> Feel hungover. As you get out of it, yeah, you do feel a lot slower um, and you feel a little bit less sure of yourself. It like closes itself back up again and then uh, shrinks. Uh, it continues floating, but it shrinks to about the size of like a lime. <laughs> I love that. That's so funny. So if you want to take it with you, uh, it's just floating in front of you. You can you can have nearer the sun than is advisable, just like in your pocket. Yeah, she's going to grab it and put it in her pocket. Yeah. OK, so you have it. Oh, that thing seems so fucking cool. Yeah. yeah. Too bad uh, I would never pass a will check. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, you don't have enough will to read the instruction manual. Oh, no. <laughs> Okay, yeah, let's just do non-initiative combat. You guys are all just standing by. If you want to get involved, you can. Just, like, narrate what it is that you do. Taylor, uh, yes. you can play the role of the Onverder. Um, I will play the role of the Illith Nari, uh, whose name you don't know, but it is Illith Nizdstzlznisner. It is looking at the Onvader and sizing her up, and uh, you can see it like reaches up and it turns a dial around one of the ocular protrusions on its strange uh, organic mask, and a bright green beam of light shoots out of it uh, just directly at the Onvader's chest. Oh man. The beam pierces her. It goes straight through her body and that armor, uh, that like silver golden uh, platinum armor just sort of like drips like melted metal. And she moves a little bit and she says, she put aside her clouds and smiled her firstborn smile. And she like the cape she was wearing like falls off almost at like a psychic command and she whips up that giant sort of metal x-shaped sword uh and it like clicks it expands the metal just unfolds from within it in into this sort of complicated bladed sheet and she leap spins uh and dives right for the Cthulican. Um, and the, the Illith Nari um, tries to calmly float its way backwards, but isn't able uh, to get the speed that it needs. You know, like the human brain is not able to correctly judge the oncoming speed of a locomotive. Mm. That like a, a locomotive is so large and moves so quick that there's an experiential mismatch in like what we are used to and that it, to the human brain, to the oncoming 
why it looks like a locomotive shouldn't be traveling as fast as it is. And like, this is the same thing. The Anverdar is huge and she's moving so fast. Um, but the, the Ilithnari is like, fuck it, whatever. I got it. I'm just going to like slide out of the way, but they are not fast enough. And the Anverdar just like pierces it, uh, through the side with this weird X shaped uh, sword that she uses. Uh, and as she's she's moving so quickly, almost with like math, I mean, with mathematical precision, and you can tell that these are movements, these are positions, and there's almost a boredom in her eyes. And you know that these are positions, movements, sequences of events and strategies that she has practiced and taught millions of times before. And you can hear her under her breath as she does each move and attack and parry that she's naming them as she goes. And she's saying, this is my fire and my frost. This is the mingle and howling pain. This is by my lightning's rent. This is eternal death. This is the torment long foretold. And then she sort of begins to slow. Uh, and the Ilith Nari the whole time is like wailing and is like making this spitting, growling noise, just like... <laughs> just slapping at her back and her face with all of its tentacles. And you can see that it's doing damage. Like, it is hurting her. But, like, several moves in, she begins to get slower and slower. And this is when you see the Ilithnari, like, reaches up. It's, like, tired. And you can see that it's just, like, leaking fluid. And some of its, uh, some of its limbs are, like, fully in three space now, where before they were dipping in and out. Part of its body is limp. And you can see that it's trying very slowly. It's reaching up to its mask and it's trying to focus one of its uh one of its like ocular rings and it's kind of like it's taking a couple seconds to mess with it and it, it takes just a second too long she says i see a whale in the south sea drinking my soul away and turns and strikes behind her where there appears to be nothing but when she strikes you see that there was something there that was one of these extra dimensional limbs uh, that the Cthulhu Kim was trying to get behind her and she has anticipated it and strikes it and when she strikes it Mike I think the Cthulhu Kim is no more it, uh, all of it falls into three space and you can see that it has countless limbs. All of them are more horrific than the last. Mm -hmm. And it just like, it doesn't fall. It like slowly just kind of glides to the floor. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it's definitely dead. And she stops. She's not even breathing hard. She goes back and sits down at the big long wooden table where she had been sitting when you first entered. Uh, and there's a whole bunch of big mugs there. <laughs> and uh, there's lots of empty ones. And she looks in a few and she finds one that's not empty. And she looks at you all. And as she speaks, like bright sort of flickering, the way that the light flickers on the tops of the waves in the ocean at noon, liquid falls from her mouth. Just you realize it's her blood falling from her, her mouth as she speaks. And she says, would you have a drink with me before you go? And then she falls over. <gasps> oh. The void elf blinks into existence oh, goodness. in the middle of the room in its floating battle armor. Looks at all of you, looks at the two dead bodies on the floor, and then looks back at you and it says... Good fucking show. And then disappears. <laughs> oh, God. There are two 
impossibly powerful dead entities on the floor of this room, and each of them is covered in more valuable equipment than any of you has ever seen in one place. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're scavenging this shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we got Beta is feeling a little mixed of emotion, a little bit of heart heartbreak because she was crushing um but that sword wow yeah remy's moved he's just like damn that was beautiful yeah that is that was the that was uh, he like he'd always aspired to that sort of level of of exertion and and defeat uh so he's he's he salutes and it's just like fucking hell yeah he says that in english and not spin <laughs> With some effort, like, Mercus tries to untie her shoe, at least one of them, because in his family, after a battle, if someone perishes in battle, putting a shoe outside um, symbolizes that somebody has passed. And so Mercus wants to do this one thing and unties the big shoe and drags it outside. Puts a, puts a shoe on the landing outside the estate. Oh, mm-hmm. fuck. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, g- give your, give yourself two grit for that if you have room yeah. for them. Oh, thank you. Oat walks up to the invader's body and you can see that he's crying. Um, there, there are tears falling down, but he reaches up under her and puts his hand into that central uh, chamber that was in her armor and takes when he pulls his hand out and you can see that he's got that green sort of emerald gem that was in the armor. He puts it in his pocket and doesn't say anything. Uh, Mercus comes back inside and wants to search the, um, oh, oh God, what is it called again? The Illithnari? The Illithnari. I have a very specific list of things that you can have from it. <laughs> that did not go how I thought it was going to go. That's very exciting. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was really great. Yeah. Also, um, sorry. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, as you guys are examining the bodies, here are the things that you can have. Someone roll a D12. Got it. Yeah, go ahead, Shannon. I would also ask: uh, Are we divvying this stuff up? Like, uh, well, I was going to ask: Are we like, are we, are we taking stuff for ourselves, or are we just um, giving it back to the company, or what? Yeah, I don't think you know yet. I don't think that's a decision that you've made. Yeah, we have tons of um, stuff in our bags, also. Yeah, I would say the company doesn't need all of it. Yeah, no, of course not. I'm just, I, I guess, what, I guess what I'm asking is like, hey, team, what's our vibe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Vinos kind of uh, shakes the big bag of sixty items for the company and says, "I believe the company has plenty. I don't. I wouldn't want to burden them with too many relics and oddities. Uh, <laughs> it just gets to be too much paperwork. We should take a few things for ourselves." That's the coolest thing you've said all night. Let's fucking do it. Okay, thank you. Who did some? Did someone roll a d12? Yes, I got a five. Okay, you got five pieces of technology of Archaea tech that you do not understand. Yay! <laughs> oh, but I might it's, as a sleeper. I have a class power that is just um, it's yeah, it's called remember. Uh, you burn d6 grit, you rack your brain, recall some immediately useful detail uh, concerning Archaea tech. Wow. This is uh, Illithnari technology is notoriously sort of like 
uh, complex, cobbled together puzzle work pieces that look like they shouldn't work, but do. And it's like the idea that this is like fourth dimension, four dimensional technology that exists in three dimensions. So like you get like basically six like minor oddments that are pieces of technology that you don't get that you're going to have to spend some time just like mucking with in order to see what they are. Beautiful. And that's something else that like, I'll roll a table, I'll figure out what it is. And in the interim time, you know, you will have tried to do some research and figured it out. Cool. Um, you get its Escher-esque blade. Whoa. Fuck. This oh, opens damn. a portal to the Escher-esque and back. It costs <gasps> D20 grit to use. And in order to use it, you must pass a level nine reason check. <laughs> oh wow. you can if you want and if you are careful remove its blood cloak oh boy uh the blood <laughs> that, cloak i heard that cost... i heard that's illegal there's actually a tag on it that says do not remove blood cloak <laughs> under penalty of law under penalty of company law <laughs> yeah. the blood cloak is what it sounds like um it is the cloak <laughs> that you've seen it wear it is this like deep red slick cloak that costs d20 grit per day to wear it will burn for 2d4 damage anyone who comes into contact with its exterior and it has a damage reduction of three. Oh, nice nice you can have the illithnari's accelerator belt the accelerator belt it gives you plus two to your initiative if you ever roll a one on initiative, it is permanently broken. Oh. You can also have, you don't know what it is. It's a metal disc with a purple button in the middle of it. It's very heavy. You can also have, oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, you can also have the mask it was wearing. <gasps> I Creepy. Fuck. If you want to take it off, it's a roll. You have to roll to get it off. Okay, I'll roll. Um, you you would have to roll reason. Yeah, I'll roll reason. Okay, it's difficult, so you're gonna have to get a nine. I also have a high reason. If it, if you what's your what's yours? Twelve. Remember, Oof. you can boost if you want to. Uh, I can I boost after rolling? No. Yeah. Uh, no, but if someone else is gonna oh, roll, okay. they can. I would boost it, Jim. Oh, you want me to do it? Yeah, I mean, I already rolled a seven, so it's too late for me. I tried, and I oh. hurt my finger. Oh, no. All right. So, oh, rip. So I can burn how much grit? Three? Uh, three to add three, six to add six, nine to add nine. And you need to clear nine. Okay, let's let's try... Basically, if you roll, if you burn nine to add nine, and you don't roll a one, you're guaranteed to succeed. Yeah, let's just burn nine. Uh, okay, and then roll my d12. Yeah. Don't roll a one. Oh, shit. Roll no. You rolled a one? <laughs> um, Wait, sorry. But remind that, me of the, what's the stat again? Reason. Uh, but not um, what I. Yeah, I mean, I can I, you also don't, try. I have a 12, too. But I got it, right? You don't, you don't destroy it and you don't hurt yourself, but you cannot figure out how to get it off. Oh. <sighs> Beta's still feeling conf like little residual confidence from uh, being in the suit. Uh, so she's gonna, she's gonna burn, she's gonna burn nine grit and then roll and hopefully not get a one. If she was feeling confident, she wouldn't burn nine grit, but please continue. <laughs> okay. Wow. 
Oh my goodness. We, we're not allowed Guys, to. Guys, we can't take the mask off. Yeah, yeah, we can't there, take the mask. It's we really can't. it's really on it's there. It's just on uh, there. Yeah, does anybody else? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I can't Ram- boost my roll past like four, can I? Like wow. I can try, but I don't know if it's gonna work. Is your is your reason four? Yes. Oh wait, no. Okay. Wait, no. My reason. Shit. I was. I. I don't know why I thought will. Yeah. Fuck it. I got eight reason. But you have to boost you have to it because you need a nine. Yeah, I'll boost it. I'll boost it by three. I'll burn three grit because I'm going. I right, fuck I it. Would, I would just do the max. I would just do it. I would just if I. I mean, whatever. All I'm right. Not fine. Gonna fine. You, I'll burn. I'm I'll not going to tell you nine, how to live I'll your life. I'll burn nine grit. I'll burn nine. I got four left. Don't. Because this is gonna be this is gonna be amazing if you if you also roll yeah. a one. Do not get a one. Wait, 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 Do not wait. get a so one. So I gotta roll my reason. So it's 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 D eight plus plus whatever. Yeah, just D eight plus nine. So it's one one D eight plus one plus eight plus nine. Oh yeah, so what, yeah. If you have 10. any other bonuses, yeah, add those two. Yeah, seventeen. Nice. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you crushed it. Okay, great. Everybody takes a turn. No one can figure out how to get this thing off. Um, as was not, uh, if it was not already obvious by the last couple minutes, this once it is attached to a user is not meant to be removed. But call it the call it the luck of the nanites. It wasn't luck, Mike. Call it that's the smi- the smile of the blood. But uh, Remy is able to remove this uh, this mask. Yeah, it's like kind of like a mask visor looking into it you can see that this is definitely a hundred percent without question crypto serid technology this is technology that was developed and built by the long fallen and extremely extremely advanced bug civilizations on terra Um, you cannot know what it does but you have a weird mask yay Beta says to Remy after he removes it, well, I loosened it. <laughs> Remy's like, yo, the nanites do all this shit. I don't, I, I never knew any of this. I blame the nanites. Thank you, nanites. What does, okay, what, that's everything that is on the Illithnari. What does the Illithnari's face look like? Sort of like a squid, but if you gave a squid part of a human face. Oh. Okay, so is it, but is the Illithnari sexy to other Illithnari? Is this a hot Illithnari? Oh, uh, yes. This, if you were Illithnari, you would think that this Illithnari is particularly attractive. All right, perfect. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the kind of shit I'm into. Yeah. Remy's again. Remy's like, hell yeah. This is this is all good. I think this Illithnari probably looks uh, like dashing and a little grizzled. Ooh. Hey. Yeah. It's a little gray in those tentacles. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, what do you want to do? Do you I mean, I feel I think you already <laughs> know what the Onvader has. Um the other stuff in the room is just the stuff that the Onvader uh, Let's take the Onvader on. shit and get yeah, out of get here. Out. Another person. We'll sort yeah. out who gets what later. Yeah. yeah so you get the fuck off So the you rock. pick up her you pick up her sword, you pick up her pistol. Um I mean, does anybody want to try to carry her armor? I don't know that you could actually. No. I don't think I don't think it we matters. Might not be able for us. To. Also, I do I do feel the claim to this visor, but we'll talk about that later. <laughs> it was basically like uh, King Arthur in the in the Sword and the Stone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you guys remount your zogs and uh, head back to town. Um, you're just a, f- a stiff work away from home. And we and Mercus is just bouncing along, going, "Sorry, sorry, sorry, sorry." Oh. <laughs> 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 You are now leaving 
Float City. We are going to be taking one release cycle off, so the next time you see something in the main feed will be on or around August 14th. Float City is played in a soon-to-be-released system called Stillfleet, which you can download a quick start for at stillfleet.com. You can also follow Stillfleet on Twitter and Instagram at Stillfleet. Thank you for listening. If you want to support the show, get access to bonus one-off episodes, our bi-weekly post-episode chat show Float Chatty, and our Discord, head on over to patreon.com forward slash fun city ventures. And of course, thanks to all of our current patrons for help keeping this ship afloat we'd also love it if you told your pals about the show shared it on social media drew us some fan art gave us a rating on itunes or just came by to say hey on twitter I play Mercus and Meldar. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Randwiches. That's the word sandwiches, but replace the S with an R. Hi, I'm Bijan Steven, and I play Remy Tester on Float City. You can find me online on Twitter at Bijan Steven, B-I-J-A-N-S-T-E-P-H-E-N, on Twitch at the same name, and on Instagram at Bijan Cakes, B-I-J-A-N Cakes. This is Shannon O'Dell. I play Beta Combat. You can find me on social at Shodell. Nick Guercio plays Venus Lysumchuara, and you can find him on Twitter at Nicholas Guercio. Taylor Moore was the Onverder Oat and Nearer the Sun Than Is Advisable. He's Taylor.biz. And my name is Mike Rugnetta. I was everything else, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mike Rugnetta. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Fun City Ventures. This episode of Float City was recorded at various locations in Brooklyn, New York, and somewhere deep in the woods of Connecticut. It was produced, edited, and sound designed by me, Mike Rugnetta. Pixel Riffs is Weary of Time and Countess the Steps of the Sun. Fun City's music is by Sam Tyndall. Remy's flute playing is by Jake Fridkiss. Our art is by Tess Stone. Our Discord mods are Olivia Gulen, Kit, and Kestrel. And as always, the voice of Artemis is Molly Templeton. <laughs>